Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, March 18th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Got a reasonably focused show today. There's some really important developments. One that I think you guys are going to be, well, it's terrible news. It's really disconcerting, just terrible, like for many different reasons that it's being covered up, that it's been allowed to be this bad this long, that it's largely this problems existed long before we thought that we we became aware of it in Ohio. But this is the discussion of dioxins, the level they're finding in East Palestine and how serious it is. And it's it's everything we've been talking about up until this point, including the old EPA documents that we use to show you the level, the one part per billion, which is now becoming relevant now that they finally care to talk about something that they've known was a problem when this first started. So how it's even, I, I mean, how people aren't being charged criminally at this point from the government is beyond me. I mean, that shows you the government at this point, not, not talking about the EPA, but like from like, let's take the white house, for example. Right now, it's very obvious way this is going. The tests independently contrasting what the EPA what the EPA is finding now with these findings showing you not only is it dangerous, but then showing you the ins and outs of why it's been allowed to be dangerous, including an Obama era manipulation of the law that allows this to be at a level they know is dangerous. So, are we going to expect all the corporate media to come out in a procession and say Obama did all of this? Well, of course not. So equally realize why that's dumb when it happens to Trump or anybody on either side of the false two-party paradigm. It's all about politics. They don't really care about you. None of them do. We're also going to talk about an interesting development of Trump, an indictment supposed to be coming on Tuesday, and whether or not he will be arrested and already calls around all of this or allegations, rather, of Trump calling for violence. We'll get into why that's ridiculous and why they're using things that he's been saying the entire campaign or you know, previous to the campaign and his administration and now pointing at that as if he's calling for violence. It's, it's in my opinion, the tinder is being lit for the MAGA trap or whatever we want to call this. They're trying desperately to get people to do what they failed to get them to do in the previous many different attempts like January 6th. But then interestingly, at the same time, not to say that I necessarily believe that they're connected, but it's interesting timing that we see Putin, a warrant issued for his arrest from the ICC, and how unbelievably ridiculously hypocritical that situation is. We'll go through it today to show you just how, I mean, we'll get into a couple angles on it, whether we're talking about the recent investigation from Ukraine about how yet again, Russian soldiers are raping people. So this is the third time now they're throwing that out because remember the last two were shown to be false by their own people yet again it trickles back out the same thing we saw with libya and the viagra story all these same old tropes come swinging back around and in this case they've been caught for just about everything the ghost of kiev and all these different lies they've spun out and now we're just supposed to take at face value their investigation that doesn't mean that there's not crimes happening i guarantee it's on both sides all sides but the idea that we're just supposed to take this at face value but then the other side of it is about the apparently about the the allegation that Russia is somehow it's it's basically human trafficking there are or child trafficking they're arguing that Russia is illegally trafficking children across the border and the way they frame it makes it sound just like that but when you dig into the story the argument is that they're bringing them to Russia and Russia saying well we're saving children from the war and all the terrible things you're doing now where's the truth in all that that's for you to decide but what's interesting of all of it is that 
it's on its face. It's being it's rested on allegations from an entity that's been caught lying repeatedly. And by the way, an entity that they're currently fighting because that makes perfect sense. And that's going all the way to international courts and issuing warrants for leaders of countries. Yet we have this entire history of how many times the U.S. government has just ignored. I mean, we'll go over it all today. None of that means that Russia is not capable of committing crimes. But to have the groups, both Ukraine and the U.S. government, be the ones pointing the finger, I mean, it's laugh-worthy. And we're going to get into a couple more important things in general today to kind of tie a lot of this together. I put up a whole lot around COVID-19 today because I wanted to make sure we focused on these important, interesting parts. And we're going to talk about the banking discussion as well, just a little bit to start, and show you the history of why we're here and, and how inherently on the surface, dishonest, criminal, all of this is across the board. Now, up on the 20th, in two days, we have our TLAB fundraiser event beginning at 11 a.m. Central Time, which is 12 Eastern. And it's a, it's a half-day event going until 4 Central Time, and it'll be, it'll be, we have a lot of stuff planned. It's going to be a lot of fun. Scott and I will be here in general just kind of going over all sorts of stuff. Some of it will be, you know, show-like stuff, talking about what's going on. Inter- guests will be popping in and out, including all, uh, everyone on the team at different parts throughout the day. Whitney and Derek and Taylor and Robert and and Matt all jumping in and out, you know, depending on when they have time and talking, answering questions. We have special guests who will be popping in throughout the day, some of which I'm not even sure about, like whether the people that are going to be basically the point being is we invited just pretty much everybody that wants to try and show up. So I may be surprised by people that want to show up and pop in. We have a couple of big guests that are supposed to be showing up just to, you know, pop in for a couple minutes, say hi, engage with the audience. We have some special guests. event type things we're giving out. Scott put together a special uh, limited edition t-shirt we're going to be selling during this time frame, but also giving away a few of them to people uh, as we we're going to be raffling some stuff off based on people that donate and so on. It's really just to try to you know raise funds for where we're going and what we're trying to accomplish. You know, on the surface, like I wanted this to be very clear. That's why I literally called it the fundraising event. I don't want it to seem like something else. Our point is to try to raise funds for what we want to build and all the things we want to grow. And we got, we got, you know, big <laughs> at the moment, our eyes are bigger than our stomach. And I just, I want to, I want to change that. And I want to make sure that we can grow as fast as we need to and not be hamstrung by all sorts of other things. And so one of those things is finances. So be sure to support, check out what we're doing. And if not, if you know, whether you have the funds or not show up and it'll be a good show. There'll be a lot of good things and, and good conversations and, and fun stuff as well. So I'm trying, I'm trying not to give anything away. <laughs> I'm trying not to say anything. I shouldn't. Anyway, so show up if you can. It'll be fun. I wanted to give a shout out to two actual articles today. One I'm going to get into when we get into the finance part of it. One of them was from Derek from the 17th. We were just even talking about this today. I'm actually kind of blown away by this. This is the, the title is newly released review of fluoride's toxicity highlights NTP, the National Toxicity uh, Pro, uh, Program, I believe. Weird. I'm blanking on it all of a sudden. In any case, <laughs> that's funny. I wasn't even going to say it, and then I look, and I'm like, okay, hold on. I just want to make sure it's correct. I think it was. Now I have to look because I stopped. Son of a gun. I know that. We went over all of this the other day. It's just funny that I wanted to be exact on it, so it is the, oh, for crying out loud. National Toxicology Program. Hey, I was correct. All that for nothing. So the point is, this is an important story. 
the NTP's scientist battle to follow the science was the rest of the title. The bottom line is, this is a report that's been suppressed for four years. This report has been done by the National Toxicology Program, and they have been continually suppressed. It's been continually pushed back. Latest was by the HHS, specifically Rachel Levine, and everybody, NIH, EPA, everybody seems to be involved in some way with their only objective to stop this from becoming known. And it really is mind-blowing, as I was saying before, as Derek and I were talking about, this should be headline news, as a lot of stuff really should. But at the end of the day, the report finds fluoride is indeed reducing children's IQs. That's what the report finds. And guess what? So too do a lot of other studies before this who found this, that, that all found similar things that is, has these effects. But it also gets into stuff at the bottom, which you should read, read the entire thing, and neurological effects on the brain. ADHD. Remember when that just came, exploded out of nowhere? Like there's a lot of stuff around this that they really don't. The main point here is that not only do we now know for sure that this does do this, but we now know for sure that they knew that. And we now see in real time as basically every health entity in the government tries to stop you from seeing this report. I mean, just think about what that means and how clearly these people, at the very least, do not put your health in the number one position, you know, as entities that are supposed to be fighting for your health or whatever, maintaining health or whatever, how you want to look at it. It's just kind of crazy, but it's not when you realize who they really are and how every other aspect of what we're going to get into today and any other show reveals that these people do not care. In fact, we should ask whether this is something they tried to do. Now, that may seem a step too far for some people, but it was a step too far to think about this before, you know, moments ago for some people. There's no such thing. Fluoride doesn't hurt your IQ. They wouldn't put it in your water if it did that. Well, yes, it does, and they do, and they know that. It's a fact. So really reflect on what that means and what they're capable of. Last thing on the opening part of this, I want to give a shout out to uh, this upcoming event that specifically Scott and Courtney are doing. I'm not technically part of the uh, behind the scenes for this event. This is their event. However, I am part of it. I'll be speaking and I'll be playing. And I really hope you guys will support it because it's looking to, it's turning out to be something pretty cool. Now, it, it's it looks like the tickets are one hundred and forty nine dollars. Um, and the reason being is there's a lot of a lot of people coming, a lot of big speakers and so on. So if you can afford it, make sure you check it out because it's going to be pretty cool. There's, I, I don't actually, I don't want to speak up the t- unless I may be incorrect about some of the bigger names that I was told might be coming. So I'll leave it alone for the moment, but make sure you check this out. And of course, support Scott Armstrong, Rebunks, Courtney Turner podcast, Courtney Turner, and support what they're trying to do. This is called Creative Artists Uniting for the Sovereignty of Everyone, Rebels for a Cause. And cause is Creative Artists Uniting for the Sovereignty of Everyone. That's the acronym. So it's pretty cool. Uh, and this link, and you can see my, my, I'm on the uh, list here of performers and speakers. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. So if you do, in fact, want to buy a ticket, that'll actually help support T-Lab in, in, as well. So we get a little you know, back from that if you get the link from this show. So make sure you check it out. It should be pretty cool. Now, I thought something was interesting I wanted to start off before we get to the banking stuff that I thought was interesting. Somebody just showed me not to say that this is necessarily, you know, pirate is unique or anything like that, but this just seems strange to me. Just you tell me what you think. This seems this brand new thing called pirate wires, a single perspective dominates the news and it's as tedious as it is irrelevant. Pirate wires is doing something different and we're already shaping the discourse subscribe for free today. Now, maybe it's a great thing. I don't know, but I do think it's interesting. I thought one, there's, <laughs> Nobody's able to comment and 7.3 million views. That's pretty interesting, but minimal engagement. 
I don't know. Something seems off to me personally. There seems to be a lot of, you know, F backing effort, whatever, to make that happen without a lot of engagement. That usually speaks to, you know, this <laughs> billionaire media tycoon and former mayor of San Francisco is the backer behind Pirate Wires, Mike Solana. Now, I'm not very familiar with his work or what he's done, but quite frankly, I'm kind of tired of billionaire media tycoons stepping into the sphere as independents. I'm not saying I know anything about him or that he's not honest or that maybe he's not going to step in and save the world with news. But my point is, I'm ready for something different. <laughs> I'm ready for not top of the pyramid media tycoon billionaires running things that, you know, I, I'm ready for what we're doing, not even just T-Lab, but independent media that is not, you know, part of some large conglomerate <laughs> or however else you look at it. But interestingly enough, pirate stream, pirate wires, I just thought maybe there's an effort to kind of, you know, circumvent what we're doing. Just a thought. Somebody shared that with me. I thought it was interesting. Now on Twitter's uh, uh, censorship, social media notes, this is interesting. Dr. Shiva, who has been kind of aggressive about his engagement with Twitter, let, let that speak for however you, know, however you want to read that. This is what he said, and I do find this very interesting because the guy knows what he's talking about in regard to, yeah, basically, remember, this is the person who wanted to be the CEO of Twitter. He says, over the last 24 hours, directing at, at, directly at Elon Musk, you've been responding to my tweets, but still not answering the fundamental question. And he's been asking this from the beginning, and I actually want an answer to this too, because you'd think that Elon Musk would kind of just be like, that's not true, or it never happens. He says, why is the government's backdoor censorship portal into Twitter still open? Now, that's a huge thing to say when the argument is that he, Elon's the one that saved us all from the what they're proving in Congress right now, a la Twitter screenshots, even though we knew all this stuff before. The point is that they were using the backdoor government, whatever else, if the very least influencing censorship. And so he's arguing, well, that's still very much. And I would agree with that. I think it's pretty obvious, but that's my opinion. He says, all your BS about transparency is BS until you answer this question. And again, you know, I look, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a similar person where somebody comes out and you have to do this. I'm probably not going to do it just because of the way they framed it. Now they, you know, ultimatum, but I still do. I think it's a, a relevant question that we need addressed about whether, you know, if you know my opinion on all this, I think it's pretty clear that we're just being played by the partisan game in Twitter. And it's the same thing from a different angle, just like it always is. Just my opinion. Last thing on censorship. This is pretty crazy. Richie Allen. And this, this is the same day, mind you, that my show collapsed. For the first time in history of this show, that I was not able to get back and keep quickly to sum it up, I was live. The craziest things I've seen just continually, one after another, audio, this and that. And then all of a sudden, my computer just shut down. And I just, I, I, end, I had to end the show and I was done. And I had to redo the rest of the next day. The same day, guess what Richie Allen points out? This is a 19 minute video. So watch it for yourself if you want. He explains freelance journalists and independent content creators will soon be banned from using telecommunications applications like Zoom and Skype. It happened to him last night, he said. The same night it happened, well, something happened to me. He goes, I explained it all in this video. Please watch and share widely. Very interesting, guys. Now, I was on StreamYard and I was. Mine was more felt like a computer thing, but regardless, just thought that was an interesting connection the same day, you know? Anyway, let's get into banking, or really the kind of an overlap of banking, woke, interesting politics. By the way, East Palestine conversation, which I'm going to try to get to, you know, in a reasonable, I don't want this to be a long show today, will be at the, la the last part of the show. So make sure you stay tuned because it's incredibly important. Now, Gr Glenn Greenwald, 
shared something that I think you guys should know about, which, by the way, I think our audience is completely aware of the reality of the situation. But think about how crazy this is, kind of like we were just talking about, right? The, the, the reality of um, the, you know, the, the partisanship, the game that gets played. Hunter Biden, if you haven't heard, just sued the Delaware repair shop where he left his laptop for invasion of privacy. He sued them for invasion of privacy and distributing his data. So in case you don't already get what that means, the obvious premise is that the laptop was real and it came from the store. You know, the exact opposite of what basically every corporate media outlet was claiming for the 2020 election. But nothing has happened since then, right? So he literally comes out and sues the people, making it very clear that it was his and it was his information. And where are all the outlets? Did they come back around and go, yep, you were right. But you know, that's not what happens. And we know that. And Glenn makes it very clear. He says there has been a mountain of evidence proving all the materials used by the New York Post to report on Joe Biden that were authentic. Now Hunter Biden admits it and then and that it came from that store. He says not one outlet that spread pre-election Russian disinformation lie has retracted it. I mean, think about the implications of that. And, he, and the, the conclusion's obvious. He says, permit, permit me to explain why not one corporate outlet that spread this proven lie, these materials were Russian disinformation, has retracted it. Retracting errors is what legitimate journalists do. These outlets exist to lie for political ends. Now, that doesn't just apply to Fox and CNN or MSNBC or NBC. That applies to anybody doing that. Anybody that comes out and goes, my secret sources say, and then nothing happens, and they don't follow up. And they don't swing back around and go, Yes, I was incorrect, and here's why. Oh, it turns out they said the wrong thing. Over and over, you know who I'm talking about, and I'm not even picking one person. There's an endless amount of them out there that have their, as Steve calls it, their secret squirrel sources that they quote, and half the time it just fizzles out or nothing happens, or they point to some benign event and act like that's what they meant. It's over and over and over. Or we got all these new independent journalists that come into the field and go, I've got a huge story. I'm so shocked. I can't even believe it. It comes out on Monday. You can't even wait for what's going to... And then it, it ends up being something that's like, oh, okay. Or, or benign, like, it's the, like we just saw this. Bill Gates is going to go down after this video. It's just... I'm like, that the video that's full of things we've heard over and over and over? Oh, great. And of course, the person pointing that, pointing that, every single comment that's negative, and I'm talking like thousands of them are all put behind the hidden reply. You know, these are people that are trying to influence your perception or accounts out there that are posting old videos that have already resolved as if it's something that just happened. A lot of this is happening everywhere, guys. It's not just corporate media, but this is so interesting, isn't it? He says, now he just re- re- points out, and, you know, I respect this, that he, he comes back around and says, well, hey, all corporate media outlets, that was imprecise. And he's right. They're not every single one of them did exactly the same thing. But regardless, I think ge- it is fair to say that generally corporate media towed that line. Very obvious to me. Mind-blowing. Now, here is just at least one reason the whole woke kind of eating itself alive, which I'm not even sure is intentional, p- uh, point that, that I think is part of this. My point in showing you this next part is not to say that it's all because of woke politics, but really just to see how... This is this animal, the way that they've broken people's minds, whether through COVID or through these, you know, identity politics, it's sort of it's it's like eating itself alive at this point. It's like it's like the point at which you suddenly realize that, you know, you had this women's rights movement that was fighting against the LGBT. It's like, wait a minute, (laughs) weren't they framed at the same side? The point is, they get the extreme, the you, you create this rabid, like militant mindset that just just gets out of control. Sort of a good example is 
the moderate rebel kind of discussion where you can clearly point out that there's aspects of that that they just lost control of, or I would argue they didn't care. It didn't matter as long as they got what they wanted or in Afghanistan where you create this entity and then just leave, which later becomes everything you point at for the next 50 years. The point is that that's kind of how that works. But so this is an example of how this woman, a black woman who went to work at a location dedicated to equality. uh, What's the name of it? It was the Office of Equity, Social Justice and Education. She gets uh, hired as the head of this location. She gets called a white as a she gets called a white supremacist and gets fired. Why? Well, because she's actually trying to be inclusive. Literally, which means everybody, you understand, not just certain people of certain colors. Because the point is, she was like, well, what about these people? What about white people? What about this? Or shouldn't we capitalize all words? No, just the ones we want, because that so it's it's actual racism being framed as inclusive. And this is how this works today. Not everywhere, not everybody, I didn't say that, but in a lot of these areas we're going to point out. And so the question today is whether that in and of itself is sort of creating a situation where people in the media, again, the people I pointed out are not as intelligent as people want to pretend they are. These are just people that think they're in the know, left and right, in these talking head positions in the media, who then are being taken by their own talking points. They drink their own Kool-Aid, and now it's gotten pretty much out of control, and maybe that's the whole point to where this is going. Maybe this is all meant to fall apart and seems that way everywhere else, doesn't it? But interesting. And now we got to a point to where blatant, easily verifiable facts, things that are on the surface obvious, like the deadly injections or Ukraine Nazis or whatever else we can point at that's like slapping you in the face and people just go, I don't don't agree. It's propaganda. Whatever, debunked. Simple, it's over, right? They won. (laughs) No, not really, but that just goes on as if that's enough. Well, here's an example of how this is happening. March 18th. She says, I'm passionate about elevating multiple perspectives and creating spaces where you can do just that or you can do that. Now, the, the, even though that first sentence, the terminology, spaces and, you know, sp- safe spaces and, you know, whatever, the whole terminology, that it, it makes people immediately think the way that we're discussing this, the irrational kind of one-sided politics that you see a lot in this discussion. The argument is that she was here to do the real version of that. Not the woke politics buzzwords, but actually create an area where people could be could discuss things freely and fight for the equal, genuine equality amongst every blah blah blah. Like the what they frame as them, what they want to tr- really do, and in fact, what in this case you'll see the opposite of what they wanted to do. She goes, and that's literally why I was harassed and bullied out of my position for, in fact, actually trying to fight in a space where all people could do that. She endured nonstop hostility from these people that were screaming about equality and safe spaces. Now, she claims she's out of a job after colleagues retaliated against her for questioning certain diversity, equity, and inclusion policies at the California school. But her vision of diversity and inclusion, it seems, was the wrong one. But realize that those things have definitions, and there are meanings to diversity and inclusion, not just the buzzwords they say and then mean only these people that act like this and look like that, which is actually racism. It says, I'm trying to create safe spaces for everyone, Lee said, but some people wanted me to create safe spaces that were just safe for them, and that's not my mission as an educator. That's what I'm here to do. Now, this is my point. You have a person who is clearly bought into the whole woke mindset and the safe spaces and all this stuff, which, by the way, I think is ridiculous. The idea that we're creating, like, these people are so sheltered and so easily, I mean, there's a lot of conversation about this today in in the hiring field, 
look, just to be quite frank about this, people that are in this mindset, I wouldn't want them working for me. It's we all know all the reason. It's not about racism or color or anything like that. It's about because these children who went through in this kind of mindset and grew up thinking like the world owes them something are not. They, there's there's it's impossible. Whether we're talking about what they deserve, what they got, different they feeling like they were slighted, their pronouns, their misrepresentation. I mean, it's just overwhelming. Now, look, it doesn't matter whether you agree with that or not. It's just a simple business perspective. And you can realize why that's going to be exponentially more difficult. Talk about an, an outside an undue burden, <laughs> the whole COVID conversation. Anyway, the point is what she's saying is she, you know, she's thinking these people want the same thing. She steps in thinking she's actually doing that because she bought the lie and realized st- very starkly that, oh, well, these people don't even want that. So this is an example of the, the one buying into it, but realizing that they're eating themselves alive from within this because the truth is it's being driven from a dishonest place. That doesn't mean that people like her don't exist who just generally want good, even if they bought into a lie. That is just the general sentiment of where this comes from. Because, I mean, real, look at the core value, and this is the point about all this stuff, about equality and sustainability, how they've turned these words into bad things, even though they're not bad things. Why wouldn't people want equality? The only reason we would push back on that is because it's something, not, not forced, but just the general idea that things are equal. Like, wasn't that what people should want? Unless you just want more than somebody else, which I guess is inherently something that's, I don't know, I mean, you could dig, dive into it all you want. At the end of the day, the only reason those things are seen as bad is because they're framing it as a way using it in a dishonest way, like sustainability. Obviously, we should all want to be sustainable. Now people have suddenly turned that into a bad thing, and that becomes its own agenda, right? Well, she says, while she, when she tried to help streamline staff communications by creating a Google Doc system, she said she was accused by a colleague of white-splaining a black woman, a term used to describe when white people patronizingly explain things to people of color or rather when they say that about people maybe doing that or maybe just explaining something you then make into a racist idea despite you know why because a white person wants to explain something therefore it becomes that or or a man with a woman just becomes mansplaining because it's a man what if it's somebody just trying to explain something like it's the intent which obviously matters right but even just this nuance gets called racism or bigoted or whatever else because these people in that mindset, are offended by everything. And you know what? Even if it is offensive, well, that's called free speech, right? All of this is very clear. We've gotten to a point to where it's, it's like this hamster wheel of, of contradiction and everything continues to be undermined. And it's all there. It's all in place. We have rights. They can be offended. Walk away. In this case, a black woman who simply tried to start a Google Doc system got called, was accused of white-splaining for doing so. And guess what? Of supporting white supremacy. Think about how abstract, how ridiculous that is. First of all, calling a black person white supremacist is just stupid. Now, you could argue the way they try to warp that into something about how well they can support the, the establishment. It just becomes an extension of their argument. It's not real in the sense of what the word means. At the very least, you can tell, say that they're supporting white. You're supporting it. To call them a white supremacist, it doesn't make sense. The definition does not make sense. But she says, I'm a black woman, and they're telling me that I'm white-splaining. Everyone acted like I had injured my colleague instead of it being the other way around because I didn't confess to my white supremacy. So literally gets accused of that, which is dumb on its face. Then because she doesn't go, I'm sorry, you're right, I'm a racist, even though that's not what's happening, then she gets attacked as opposed to the other way around. It happened again when she raised questions about an official school communication capitalized 
the word black, but not the word white. You know, because that makes sense, right? Making up for years of, ra- of racism and slavery by only capitalizing one word, right? This is just the, the idea, and not everybody, but people like this who do this kind of thing are out for the reverse of the situation. They're not out for equality. They're out to punish the people they see as the ones who put them in this position or however they abstractly look at it. And that's not honest. I mean, look, if that's what you want, be honest about it. The point is, she goes, no, shouldn't we capitalize both of them? Isn't that actual equality? Citing the recommendation of the National Association of Black Journalists, she suggested that all racial groups should be capitalized. How dare you, you white supremacist? That's how this went. She says, for that, I was accused of being a white supremacist. These constant accusations of calling people racist or calling them a white supremacist or saying that they're aligned with right-wingers is such ridiculousness. It's very damaging. Now, it's not doesn't mean it's not possible. Of course, of course, a person could be, and they could be aligned with white ringers. The point is to go in, to say you have an opinion. That means you're this. This is what everyone's doing from anybody in the paradigm. I should argue, whether left or right, it is happening everywhere. And if you can't see it by now, we are being driven into subjective, assumptive discussion everywhere, from the Twitter files or Twitter screenshots to everything else we're talking about. These things you can see it on the surface. Oh, they're a Russian shill. Oh, they're pro-China. They're a China shill. Oh, they're an Assad shill. It's the same game they've always played. And as long as we point at each other, we're not pointing at the real responsible party, the government. To me, that signals it doesn't really matter, she said. And the the point about this is very interesting. They're talking about uh, basically acknowledgments of of tribal land. And she points out, wait a minute, you you guys are attributing this to the wrong tribe. That's what happened. You're writing down the wrong tribe. And so when she called that out, they brushed it off like it was no big deal. Think about that. And she says to me, that signals that it doesn't matter. We're doing land acknowledgments to signal our alignment with critical social justice ideology and not to really make any real changes. That is a that is, guys, that sums up the entire thing, not individual people who want good things or want change, but from where it stems from the government and the or the psyop this is signaling their alignment with with critical social justice ideology, not actually to make any real changes. She says it's performative, almost pseudo-religious exercise. Really take that in. So they don't really care that it's attributing the land to the wrong tribe, as long as they're seen as attributing land to tribes, because we care, or not really though, because the inherent point is that you don't actually care, because that's offensive to the tribe that you should be attributing to. It's just about being seen as what you're supposed to be seen as. After, and this is actually, get this, guys, this is pretty interesting. And this makes my, this is the whole point about eating, eating the movement, eating itself alive, right? It's very clear how we can, how before all of this, the argument was lar- largely this, the racism argument was kind of spearheaded by the Zionist Israeli government talking about anti-Semitism and how it's spreading. And that's where the whole Nazi thing grew. And they're pointing out how Russia is building this and it's building over there. We've seen all of this from the ADL and all these different groups pointing at this. Now, obviously, the, the discussion of black Americans, that was obviously something historically there. But we know very clearly this big the big discussion about anti-Semitism has been on the surface of this the whole time. So get this. After Jewish students and faculty members alike told her that the the woman that's being called a white supremacist, the black woman that was fired, after Jewish students at this school told her that they'd experienced anti-Semitism on the campus, on this campus where they're fighting for equity and and non-racism, they claim, 
Lee asked for help organizing a summit to address the issue. Now, put aside any other political opinions you may have on the concept of this and just think about what she's saying here, that Jewish people on the school came to her and said, we're being people are being racist to us. And she goes, okay, well, that's what we're here for, right? Let's call a community meeting and let's deal with this. Whether it's a black person, a white person, a Jewish person, that it's racism, right? Instead, when she called the meeting, the coworkers told her the event wasn't important because Jewish people are white oppressors. Now, it doesn't even matter what you think about that. Think about how ridiculous it is on the surface. So are they not racist then? Because, well, suddenly it doesn't matter. Oh, white people can't be. Well, think about the perspective, perspective from a Jewish person or from the Israeli government. That's not what they would say, right? But this is my point. The, this has gotten out of control. They've lost control of the rabid militant mindset that's suddenly deciding who is right and who's wrong. Frankly, I find it kind of hilarious because it's obviously dishonest. And at the end of the day, they're being racist <laughs> at their core. It's hilarious, but kind of disconcerting. For a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional who truly believes in the importance of her craft, the experience has been disillusioning. She said, bringing people together to explore and talk about different ideologies was deemed unacceptable and not welcome at a group calling for equity, equality, non-racism. Except they're not allowed. They look, they're not the right color. This is how ridiculous this has gotten. On the surface, some people are trying to do it in a way, some people are trying to do it in an inclusive way. She's referring to herself. Actually being inclusive. And those people are targeted for elimination and neutralization by people who are working from extreme ideologies. That, my friends, is the woke movement. Not everybody involved. I argue they're in any movement, whether manipulated or not, there are people with good intentions that just get swayed by dishonest tactics. But at its core, the woke movement is a manipulation. And it's stemming from extreme ideology. That's the whole point. So this leads to things like this, where the facts get ignored and people don't care because politics is all that really matters to people in power. So this brings the overlap of the banking discussion. Now, this is really interesting because there's been a huge discussion. Now it's being labeled as a you know right wing, blah, 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 that there's the woke policies of these banks somehow influence their downfall. Now, it's not even it's on. The, it's obvious that it had an effect. If you're, if you're spending $75 million to donate to Black Lives Matter causes, and now you just fell short of being able to pay your depositors, well, it doesn't, obviously that's played a factor. I can pro- there's probably all sorts of other donations you could include, but it does matter, right? So it's not nothing. What's interesting, though, is I think it's very obvious that these people, at the very least, were led to believe that that was what they, it, it was more important. As long as I've got my ESG checkboxes, then we'll be okay. Well, clearly not. And what it also shows you is the delusion around how that is all that really matters. Now, this goes back to the core of this. Now, Matt Eretz wrote a bunch of great work for great articles for T-Lab going back to like the core, the roots of the illusion that is the two-party paradigm, the Malthusian kind of like anti-human mindset, really, that stems that both sides stem from. Now, if you make sure you actually will probably link to the bottom here read his past work. Let me just grab it real quick because it is important to, to read. Oh, actually, I'll, this is better. Let me do this. I'll just open up his author page so he can go through what he's re- wrote and um, posted so far. 
the one I'm referring to is this one here. The Ken, the, uh, the, uh, Keen, the Ken's and, uh, and Hayek debate. The Keynesian discussion we've talked about before and the Hayek, like these are the different camps, essentially, lefters. And the idea is they both stem from the, ultimately the same sort of Malthusian, like Luciferian kind of mindset. And it's on the surface, talking about how basically doing what you want, which, you know, ultimately breeds a better society it's like a really warped mindset and it's it's like no morals kind of a mindset now this is very interesting that you should read now this this part of it though he's talking about how this is the same the, the people behind the same kind of manipulation have driven us to where we are now decades back March 17th. Now, as it says, the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and several other financial institutions over the past week has forced the transatlantic system's oncoming meltdown with idiotic debates about how to keep the zombie banks alive just a little bit longer. On the one hand, incompetent engineers on the Titanic passionately argue over whether they should accelerate or decelerate the speed of the boat whose hull has long been torn to shreds by an iceberg comes to mind. Figures, oh, excuse me, bail-ins, are again seriously being discussed as a new form of response that can be done in tandem to the long-held practice of bailouts, which began infusing trillions, began infusing trillions of dollars into into too big to fail banks. Now we've talked we've talked about bail-ins, bailouts, interest rates. I mean, everything they're doing is basically maintaining, as he puts it, zombie banks. And now what we're going to get to is just the more condensing into the hands of the central bank or larger entities right now. I mean, it's arguably exactly what they wanted. Now, it says 1980. Oh, this is just for me to remember. Uh, chairman Paul Volcker, we're going to talk about as we read down. 1980, Fe- uh, Fed chairman. Now, it says, since a, pande- a pandemic induced nations to lock down their economies. Now, arguably, you know, my, not, not, or rather my opinion is that that's, and, our, and quite frankly, I'm pretty sure it's his opinion, too. This is just the discussion point of what's being framed is that the pandemic, which is an illusion, which I'm sure we I think I believe we both agree on talking to him on off discussions is an illusion. And ultimately, it was just the framing of the pandemic, which was used to create this just so that's clear. So the the illusion of COVID-19 induced nations to lock down their economies. Rescue packages and unlimited money printing to keep people from literally starving and banks from collapsing has become a new normal. Has been for a while. $24 trillion in COVID-related debts have been generated internationally, while U.S. Federal Reserve balance sheets have doubled over the same period to $8 trillion, with increasing rates of liquidity injections flushed into the too-big-to-fail banks since September 2019. So far, consumer price inflation has risen by 4.2% in 12 months. But based on the obvious reality of $28 trillion of totally unpayable U.S. debt, sustaining a $1.2 quadrillion, with a Q, quadrillion derivatives bubble time bomb alongside the breakdown of supply chains and a dysfunctional green infrastructure program pushed by Biden, the runaway threat of inflation and even hyperinflation is firmly, or should be, on everyone's minds. Now, I'm tempted to play that that money video, but it's long and I've got a lot to get into. Just the idea that we don't even, can't even our minds can't even grasp how much a trillion, a billion dollars truly is, let alone a trillion, let alone 1.2 quadrillion. I mean, it becomes meaningless, which is kind of the point. <clears throat> now, maybe at one point I'll play it again, but it's the point is you get past a million and the, the, the amount will blow your, it's, 
it's visualizing how large it is. It just blows your mind, let alone getting to 100 million, a, a billion, a trillion. It's meaningless once it gets past a certain number. They know that. Now, it says, since economists are told repeatedly that Volcker's, this again was the Fed chair, 1980, that his interest rate hikes of 1979-1982 saved the U.S. economy. He says, let's look at what really happened and why Volcker described his philosophy that they point to as the savior as a controlled disintegration, which is playing a factor right now. While inflation did indeed spread across the USA in the 1970s, it is worth asking, why did this actually happen? And did Volcker's reforms have anything to do with solving that problem? Kind of sounds familiar, right? <laughs> We're lied to about how history actually went down. Or did both the problem and its nominal solution drive a singular agenda of controlled destruction of the USA now playing out four decades later? I think you know what I think. The truth is that we've talked about the engineered fall of the West for a while now. James Corbett's been great work on this, and I think this is exactly the point. Now, he says, for one, the shift away from the industrial long-term development with the 1971 floating of the U.S. dollar off the gold reserve standard went a long way to turning a once forward-thinking, productive, manufacturing-driven economy into a consumer cult. This post-industrial age was characterized by outsourced industries relying ever more on increased rates of imports from thing, uh, of things of USA that the USA once made for itself. And we all saw this take place. So the question is why, especially if we can look back and see that it essentially drove us to where we are now. Was this about the benefiting of individuals in that moment at the expense of the country? Or was there a grander plan of what we're talking about today? Agro-industrial production was replaced by service sector jobs as the USA became even more reliant on cheap imports made from China, Mexico, and other poor nations who were expected to remain labor-intensive sweatshops for eternity. Now, this is one reason why a lot of people were very supportive of Donald Trump, because he made a big point about this, making, bringing the production back to America. And he's right, ultimately. I, whether or not you, you believe he means that or ultimately that's what would have happened, you can debate all day long. But I agree. His statements were correct. And at the end of the day, the idea that somehow, that one, that these countries would remain labor-intensive sweatshop kind of you know, entities or labor-intensive entities as long as U.S. needs them to be is ridiculous. And on top of that, what the real point is, is what we'll talk about next, is how the country, or rather the government and their apparatus, the people being put to put, the people who are executing its will, maintained that, took surreptitious action to ensure or try to that these countries would remain reliant on foreign powers and not empires of their own. And we've talked about this from a lot of different angles. The whole point is the U.S. government knew that if these people become you know, reliant on themselves, well, then they're powerful. They have militaries. They won't, they won't just give us what we need. So we hurt them to make sure that they remain weak. And by default, their people suffer. But, you know, we get the what we need from them. And this is on the surface of the conversation. You know, at one point today, they lie. But you can see people like Kissinger and plenty of others, Zbigniew Brzezinski, openly talking about this at a time when it wasn't getting mass reach. You know, pre-internet, pre-the kind of stuff we have today. This detachment of the valuation of the dollar from all physical measurable standards went a long way to killing the buying power and raising inflation as monetary circulation increased ever more by speculation on oil, currencies, 
or other goods that often had no connection with reality. That's where we are now. Investment rates, or think about debt and all the our fiat currency. I mean, we're, we're based, it's all based on an illusion. Investment rates into cutting edge science, both in the atomic realm of fusion and the macro realm of space exploration were cut off drastically. Vital infrastructure maintenance and improvement collapsed, traps trapped in the new post-industrial normal. As we go through one of those shifts now. Last but not least, oil price increases of 400%. This is really interesting. I, I didn't, this is something that I had, the, the statement from the Saudis I didn't hear before. Oil prices increased by, of 400% during the 1973 OPEC crisis. Is admitted to have played a big role driving the 1973-79 inflation. But as researcher William Engdahl demonstrated in his book, in his 1992 Century of Oil book, then Secretary of State Henry Kissinger had made a made more, had had more of a role in manufacturing this crisis as always, guys, from scratch by keeping hundreds of tankers replete with petrol from being unloaded in the USA and facilitating the 400 percent increase with the assistance of several high level oil ministers in the Middle East, beholden to Kissinger. This is how these people operate. It's not unique to the United States government, but clearly we can see how they've become an outsized role in this kind of manipulation. This was artificially created, which people suffer because of, all because of the control, the need to maintain control. In recent years, Saudi Arabia's former OPEC minister at the time corroborated the research, stating on the record, quote, I am 100% sure that the Americans were behind the increase in the price of oil. The oil companies were in real trouble at that time, they had borrowed a lot of money and they needed a high oil price to save them. So what do they do? Execute a worldwide manipulation in order to benefit themselves, which hurt people. This shift of the U.S. economy from its former role as an industrial producer economy to a consumer cult of speculation and monetarism was accompanied by a broader international shift that was being orchestrated by a cabal of misanthropic technocrats managing an organization known as the Trilateral Commission, founded in 1973 by Chase Manhattan, President, uh, Chase Manhattan President David Rockefeller III, and a sociopathic grand strategist named Zbigniew Brzezinski. Of course, Mika Brzezinski on Morning Joe is his daughter. The aim of the Trilateral Commission was, a dis- was to destroy the sovereign manufacturing base of both the USA and international developing sectors alike. Now, ask your question. Was this engineered by some outside force to diminish the power of the United States the same way it's been doing to countries abroad? Or is this about something larger? Well, all these are possible. We just need to start realizing there's much more happening than just some series of events that are you know, looked at from a couple of months scale. Right? This is a long-term type of manipulation. And we need to ask whether or not there's more going on here, always. Now, it says the aim, uh, right here, it says, among the many goals of the Trilateral Commission laid out by Brzezinski in his 1970 manifesto, Between Two Ages, was the need to drive the transition of society towards what Brzezinski referred to as, guess what, guys? And we've talked about this both with Derek and plenty of other people at the time, what he called the technotronic era. The, ter- the word today is technocratic. It's the same conversation. So all the way back then, Brzezinski was already mapping out the direction from the 70s right to where we are now and was executing that, ro- that change then. The point is, we've watched this plan. All that's changed is the technological ability. 
allowing things to be executed. This is what he said, quote, this is a big, this is a big new Brzezinski. The techno, technotronic era evolves the gradual appearance of a more controlled society. Such a society would be dominated by an elite, unrestrained by traditional values. That's the Methusian mindset. Soon it will be possible to assert almost continuous surveillance over every citizen and maintain up-to-date complete files containing even the most personal information about the citizen. These files will be subject to instantaneous retrieval by the authorities. Totally not related to where we are now, right? <clears throat> That's the point. This is what they're going for. That's what they're building. Now, the question needs to be asked about what's happening in China, which happened clearly faster than the United States, and whether or not that was coordinated. I personally feel there's much more coordination there than ever, but the truth is none of these people should be seen as good versus bad. They're all trying to achieve, in my opinion, their, their ability to control you and your perception. All of them. During a 1975 Trilateral Commission study called Crisis in Democracy, overseen by Zbigniew, Clash of Civilizations ideologue Samuel Huntington wrote, quote, we have come to recognize that there are potential desirable limits to economic growth. There are also potentially desirable limits to the indefinite expansion of democracy. A government which lack authority will have little ability to impose on its people the sacrifices that will be necessary. That, guys, is what's happening right now. Or at the very least, what some of them are being led to believe. That we need to take it on the chin for the environment, for the economy, for fill in the blank. You need to suffer for whatever we want to achieve and we'll frame it however we want. That's what they're talking about. And they're coming up against the reality that they don't, that rather they lack the authority that people, we don't, we don't trust them anymore. Now, it says, in 1978, faced with unbounded inflation, Paul Volker, Volker spoke at a conference at Warwick University, London, stating that, quote, a controlled disintegration in the world economy is a legitimate object in the 1980s. See, this is how simple this day. On the record, he says that that's what the plan was not the saving of the, of the, you know, of the economy with interest rates, but rather the opposite, a controlled disintegration. Upon ascending to the chair of the Fed a year later, he wasted no time in applying this program. Between 1979 and 1982, third world debt skyrocketed from 40 to 70%, almost a doubling across the broad across the board, excuse me, across the board leading to a major debt crisis. So clearly, actions were taken. This is the result. Right after he says a controlled disintegration of the world economy. Shouldn't be confused. Very clear. During this period, U.S. agricultural, the point is that what we were told and what we're still told about that is the opposite. During this period, U.S. agricultural output collapsed. Metal cutting machine tools fell by 45%, automotive production fell by 44.3%, and steel production fell by 49.4%, pretty much half of all these, as bankruptcy skyrocketed, leaving only mega corporations, sounding familiar again, COVID-19, strong enough to pay the draconian rates while absorbing small bankrupt companies and farms like a modern-day Borg for those who don't know, a nod to uh, Star Trek, consuming ever greater rates of cheap labor and cheap resources from poor nations. Now, there's a numerous 
stated agendas and narratives around that that exact sentiment but it no matter what they state that's what's been going on for as long as we can see these these countries are kept in positions of insecurity with sanctions and so on so that they can be abused used for their own the benefits of these other nations specifically the united states and israel and the uk the, to understand how these countries remained poor and exploitable, one need only visit the Malthusian State Department CIA report authored by Henry Kissinger in 1974 called the NSSM 200 that called for a total depopulation program targeting 14 poor nations, then desirous of industrial growth. This has been referenced plenty of times. This is not a new document. The point is that it's very easy to see before they decided we needed to you know, give ourselves a facelift and say things differently. You know, the Department of War becomes the Department of Defense and so on, right? The point is they meant what they said and they still mean the same thing today. The point is that they targeted these groups to stop them from growing so that they could remain under the boot of the U.S. machine. Those targeted included, think about the way that they, the, what's from 1974 forward, how these countries fared. These targets included, these targets included, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Indonesia, Thailand, the Philippines, Turkey, Nigeria, Egypt, Ethiopia, Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil. Many U.S. allies in there. Now, ask Germany how that works out. Kissinger's logic was simple. If these nations develop, their productions will grow, their populations will grow, excuse me. If their populations grow, they will use their resources. But since this is in the strategic interest of the United States to use those resources, well, those nations must be kept down. Simple. Nationalist leaders among those targeted nations who had a different idea were targeted for assassination or regime change throughout the 1980s. Right on the surface, guys, and they're still doing it today. They just say the words differently. With Glass-Steagall out of the way, and this was post-1999, Commercial and investment banks could unite to form the, the ultimate, all-powerful, many-headed financial conglomerate, as outlined by Lord Jacob Rothschild in 1983. You know, independent, because he just decided to write it down. No, because this is coordinated, guys, and there's been plans by these entities for a long time. The point is, we're watching it today. We're watching the continual, co you know, coalescing, or uh, what's a better word for it, the, you know, the, the, the smaller banks are going away and they're being absorbed into the larger entities. That's not what anybody should be asking. We want the opposite. They pretend that they're trying to achieve the opposite and they keep doing the same thing. While opportunities then existed to impose Glass-Steagall to break up the banks, as had been done earlier by FDR in 1933, hyperinflationary money printing was chosen instead, resulting in another 12 years of insanity as the bubble continued to expand and the physical economy, economic productive base continued to atrophy. Today, we sit on not one bubble concentrated in housing prices or oil or currencies, but rather a multitude of bubbles in literally everything from commodities, Bitcoin, housing, commercial real estate, bundled student loans, automotive loans, and the overvalued U.S. currency itself. The COVID pandemic did not cause the current systemic crisis, as many fools have parroted over the, for over a year, but has merely served as cover to obscure the real systemic causes of a long-awaited collapse and accelerate the controlled disintegration of the system as the world is prepared to transition into a new technocratic age, technocratic age, which has come to be dubbed a Great Reset or the Fourth Industrial Revolution. We need to see the connected pieces here, guys. It's right on the surface. 
He writes, we are told by the likes of Klaus Schwab or the World Economic Forum trustee, Smart Carney, Christine Lagarde, and Christina, Christina Freeland, all you know, leaders in their respective countries, or leaders, I hate even using that word, that the age of the free market capitalism, which reigned from 1971 to 2020, has come to an end. I guess they just get to decide that. And that a new epoch of green finance under a decarbonizing world is upon us. And we already talked about all of this, like the scam that is inherent in all of this. Under this new world order of stakeholder capitalism, citizens will learn to own nothing and be happy, while polluting companies who commit climate sins will be choked of all credit. As former Bank of England head Mark Carney recently wrote of the new age of net zero in his new book, Values Building a Better World for All, which many have recognized as a precursor to his replacement for Canada's Justin Trudeau as prime minister, Quote, it could be generations before gains of the the fourth industrial revolution, which you're saying is happening now, are widely shared. Klaus himself has made this clear. In the interim, essentially right now, until whenever they achieve what they're trying to achieve, there could be a long period of technological unemployment, sharply rising inequalities and intensifying social unrest. That's what you're going to get in hopes that they somehow get it to a place they want to get it to, and then, I guess, assume that it will be what they wanted, or assume what they said they wanted to be is what they actually even want, and then assume they get it to where that place is. I mean, this is crazy. They're literally telling you, your life is going to be terrible until we can achieve this, but just take it on the chin for what we claim we want to achieve, and then I guess we assume that's what they actually want. My God. It's as clear as it gets that this is a long-term game, and it really it comes down to the achieving more control over your life at all costs. It's pretty sad. Now, Wall Street Silva points out, it's clear as day that we're clearly watching this happen right now. The, 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 build, the, the coalescing of these banks under, you know, the, the smaller ones are going away. What we are witnessing now is the liquidation of regional bank stocks as a viable asset class, and it's crazy. This is the weekly volume of Thursday close. Crazy. Now, Disclosed TV points something else out that's very alarming, which is that BlackRock has assembled rival Credit Suisse takeover bid, challenging USB to acquire the Swiss bank. I didn't see this actually. This looks like the update from today saying that BlackRock has denied that report. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Wouldn't it be just absolutely fantastic if? They buy it after they deny that it's happening. We'll have to wait and see. In any case, I find it interesting. This is reported by the Financial Times. So clearly there's something in there that made them think to suggest, you know, to write about this. But either way, we'll have to wait and see. The truth is, though, that BlackRock has been involved with this takeover of everything, it seems. Let's, let's see if I can bring this up real quick. There it is. Include that so you can read this. This is specifically about COVID-19. But it's entitled The COVID Coup, the Black the Black Rock Takeover of American Interests. Clearly that's still happening. Now here, Edward Dowd points out that the Fed has lost control. Now, I, I, I that's certainly one of the possibilities, but we should consider whether they haven't lost control, right? That this is actually just an executed disintegration, as we talked about. But Possible one way or the other. He said, in his opinion, they've lost control. But the truth, what we can see is obvious that the bond market has spoken. It has been from, it has gone from worrying about inflation to worrying about deflation. <laughs> Clearly they're in control, you know, or again, this is, they want it to seem like this. The establishment will respond with a consolidation of the banks via bailouts. Consolidation. There's your, that's the word I was looking for. 
and ultimately a CBDC. Now, this is the obvious point. Social unrest will follow. And look, they even told you that's probably what's going to happen. But we'll get it there. Don't worry. Maybe it'll take 20 years if that's even what they actually want to achieve. But it's crazy that you can see this is already happening. And my point was, sadly, I see a similar path unfolding, maybe aside from lost control. I see this as largely engineered. I really hope that I'm wrong. But man, I got to tell you, this is the writing on the wall is very clear right now. And here, exactly my, the exact point. Two days ago, March 16th, Western governments are on the verge of introducing expiring money. Remember when that was even considered a conspiracy theory when they talked, they floated this? I, what was it, like a year ago, six months ago? As always, it shouted down as a fake story until it happens right in your face. Well, the, the European Central Bank, I, I see them all as the same at this point, is considering using negative interest rates, a tool that erodes the value of your money as it introduces the digital euro, its central bank digital currency. The point, guys, just to make this clear, is that means that you don't get to save money anymore. You want to put it in the bank? Well, it loses value unless you spend it. It's, like a, it's, it's, an, it's a ticking time bomb. It goes away as it sits there. The only way this makes, the only reason this makes sense is to guarantee that you are dependent on the state. That you can't become independently wealthy of your own accord. You have to go through certain channels, which are controlled. This is crazy to me. And this is exactly the point about the CBDC, guys. That's what this is really all about. Now, this, just in case we forgot, is important to remember. This is the president of BIS the bank, telling you the reality. The difference in, with the CBDC is that central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank liability. And also we will have the technology to enforce that. Those, are, those two issues are extremely important. And what he's saying is that the, they can enforce how you use it, right? So they can enforce, you know, let's say they don't want you to buy a gun. Let's say they don't want you to buy certain stocks. Let's say they don't want you to buy something that promotes the Republican Party or the, or the Democrat Party. It doesn't matter. They can choose to decide that it crosses some arbitrary line that they've drawn. Now, we already see that, how this is working right now. Or if they just want to pretend it's for the environment, or we got to stop people from buying meat or buying things for cars. or I mean, it's obvious, and they're already making these arguments. And as the other guy said, I forget who he was, one of the other people involved in this whole scheme, he's you know, up working with the World Economic Forum and so on, basically going, look, guys, we already have Venmo and other platforms of digital transaction. The only difference with this is that they can track and control everything you do. That's it. It's scary. It really is. Now, let's jump over into, you know, on that note of, of over, you know, over, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? God, I can't think of the anything today. <laughs> encroaching government power is the word I was trying to look for there. You know, think, speaking of this, it's just overwhelming government overreach in every possible realm of everything. Well, you might have heard today that Trump, at least I'll show you the posts, posted about being arrested on Tuesday and calls for protests and to take our nation back. Now, I'll read you exactly what he said. It really is unnerving, like going back to the point we made to start, the idea about this kind of 
men, this woke mentality, or it doesn't just the woke, but from both sides, right and left of the two-party paradigm, people that are being manipulated by their politics to the point to where they ignore facts. It happens on all sides of the two-party paradigm. What's interesting is that he nowhere calls for violence. Now, you could argue that he might have meant that with something he said, but that would be an assumption, which would be dumb, especially for a journalist. But it's everywhere. Now, just to be clear, take our nation back. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> that was something he's been saying from the beginning of his campaign. <clears throat> he said that in the beginning before he ran. He said that during his election. He said that since he left office. So, of course, they can, they can try to make it about some kind of violent act. But have we not heard the Democrats say the same damn thing in regards to electing Biden? Take our country back? So it's only bad when Trump says it because you think, wink, wink, he actually means that? I mean, this is just as stupid as it gets. And the point is, they don't know for sure. They don't care. They, in their minds, I would argue, some of these lower-rung people that are, think they're in the know but not, in the like CNN, for example, they truly believe this guy is a villain, evil person. It must be taken down. So they're okay lying for it because they know it's, for, it's lying for their truth. They're the worst of the worst. People out there doing that are lost. On all sides. And the left and the right are both doing it. But in this case, here's what he posted. Now, for, the first one was uh, earlier today. And he says, our nation is now third world and dying. Now, you can disagree with all of what he says here. This is on Truth Social. But the bottom line is, nothing in this calls for violence. The American dream is dead. The radical left anarchists, which I take extreme issue with because Trump clearly does not understand what anarchism is or what it means, which is obviously why these people are still operating the two-party paradigm if that kind of stuff is being discussed, have stolen our presidential election. Now, remember, anarchism means no rulers, not no rules. It's the only ideology that has no place for rulers or leader pre presidents and so on. They're leaders, but not in the sense of this kind of concept. You know, natural leaders of people that just lead. That's always there, not people being elected and so on. The reality of anarchism you should look into if you really want to understand why they always call chaos anarch anarchy. It's because the anarchism mindset is the only one that doesn't have a place for their power. Think about that. Now, it says, uh, has stolen the presidential election, <clears throat> which, again, the Democrats said the same thing when tr they said Russia put him in power. So you can't pretend like it's only when one person says it or one side. And with, and by the way, they're both right, arguably, not in the sense of what everything they're saying, but that both sides cheat every single damn time. Wish we could get past that juvenile you know, need to not admit what a one side does. <clears throat> but it says, and with it, the heart of our own country. American patriots are being arrested and held in captivity like animals, while criminals and leftist thugs are allowed to roam the streets killing and burning with no retribution. Now, of course, they're going to argue, he means black people and he's racist. Well, that's not what he said. And even if he means that, you don't know that for sure, and you're dumb for assuming that. But of course, they believe that, so they'll lie for their truth, because that's, that's the level of corporate journalism today is on all sides. He says, millions are flooding through our open borders. <clears throat> Many from prisons and mental institutions, crime and inflation are destroying our very way of life. Okay, so far, not even remotely actually calling for violence. Now, just to be clear, even if he said, well, look, I mean, I'm, I'll just be as, as specific as possible. You could argue he might have meant something one way or the other in any number of things. 
but that's not a legal crime. You couldn't bring him to a court of law and say that's he, he called for violence. It wouldn't stand. They know that. Now it says page two. Now illegal leaks from a corrupt and highly political Manhattan district attorney's office, which has allowed new records to be sent in violent crime and whose leader is funded by George Soros indicate that with no crime being able to be proven and based on an old and fully debunked by numerous other prosecutors fairy tale, the far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Protest, take our nation back. Now, right, what, that right there is what they're pointing at the most. Protest, which again, to them means, oh, well, Trump says protest. We know what he really means. Wink, wink. No, you don't. Because protest means protest. And you guys call for protest all the time on the other side of the fake paradigm. So just, again, what it means what they want it to mean. Take our nation back. Now, you could try to argue that he meant something by that. But what if, what if he meant politically? What if he meant get out there and protest and expose them so we can politically take our Well, you don't know that. And I would argue that's likely what he's not stupid enough to say something violent when they know they're paying attention. The bottom line is he's been saying take our nation back from the beginning of his political run. And so, too, has the other side. Largely, weirdly enough, I think they say take our country back. What's the difference? I don't care. They both say the same thing. It is juvenile that they try to play this game. Now, he followed up by posting this. John, this is the... This is NYC law enforcement sources telling me that the Manhattan DA's office is in chaos. They're telling me about 60% of the office wants no part of this and wishes breath. Now, this is all just completely subjective. Who knows? Who knows if it's real? Trump then post five hours ago. Let me see if anything updated will go there. Five hours ago. It's time. We are a nation in steep decline being led into World War III by a crooked politician who doesn't even know he's alive, but who is surrounded by evil and sinister people who, based on their actions of defunding the police, destroying our military, open borders, no voter ID, inflation, raising taxes, and much more. Oh, that's what we're focusing on? Like, this guy's running for president, obviously. Like, really? Like, what about the ejections? What about COVID-19? What about, what about the lockdown? Weird how it suddenly falls right back into wedge issues. Obviously, we see what that is. He's playing the game, guys. Can only hate our now failing USA. We can't allow this anymore. They're killing our nation as we sit. Oops. <clears throat> Where was it? Here it is. They're killing our nation. Oh, weird. Wait, did that get taken down? Oh, of course that just happened. Oh, no, this is right. Whoa, okay, damn it. That is, that's, that's the old one. Isn't it? Am I, am I confused? That's crazy. Is that the same post? It's time. It's time. In any, in any case, <laughs> well, that, that was just confused. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I refreshed it, and now I got confused on which one it was. It's the same stuff. The bottom line is, yeah, this is the old post. This is the one. Oh, oh, I see what happened. I, no, I so he retweeted both of these. So this is the one right here. Okay, now I'm now I'm not confused. That was weird though. So he says, uh, "They're killing our nation as we sit back and watch. We must save America. Protest, protest, protest." Now, I mean, look, he's emphasizing protest. It's obvious he knows how they're trying to misrepresent this. 
Now, you can argue that he means violence and even wants violence, but you can't prove that. So it's stupid to come out and say that's what's happening. And guys, that's what's happening literally everywhere. Actually, before we get to that, here's a clip from Fox News going over this. Trump may be handcuffed and arrested next week. There are all these weird conversations about handcuffs and all this stuff. It doesn't really seem to be the way it's going to go. I'll show you what Trump's lawyer just said, but it's already being blown out of proportion, just like it's you know supposed to, in my opinion, as all this other stuff is getting ignored. We're learning that the Manhattan DA's office has asked for a meeting with law enforcement ahead of a potential Trump indictment. This is coming to Fox News from a source in the courts. The meeting, which was requested yesterday and has not been set yet, is to discuss logistics for some time next week, which would mean that they are anticipating an indictment next week. The same source who's familiar with the planning said they... So it seems kind of up in the air, quite frankly. ...will go over security preparations in and around the courthouse in lower Manhattan. Secret Service will take the lead in what they will allow or will not allow. The source cautioned, mentioning, for instance, that the decision to handcuff the president, a former president, or not, they will set the tone and will escort him into the courtroom. There will be coordination between all of us, the source said, but we will defer to the Secret Service. The battle will be between Secret Service and DA... Alvin Bragg. They- I mean, even the terminology they're using, I mean, from Fox News's perspective, they're, it's, they're, obviously it's beneficial to them to make this a big deal. Now, it is a big deal, to be clear. I mean, obviously this is a big step, the allegation, the action itself. But, you know, the battle between the Secret Service and, you know, this by the Q crowd and those kind of entities, this is going to become, you know, wildly larger than, they, than, than even, even though it's a big deal. Like, it's going to become, in my opinion, something much larger than that. Or there's going to be some secret story that we don't understand other than unless you follow the chat room. You know, that, that's how this use tends to go. But to me, it seems like it's, it's an attempt to get there to be violence, to get people to, resp- to respond. We'll decide how and when he'll get into the building and they are not going to leave him. The source believes that the former president will still have to be fingerprinted and processed like every other defendant. Well, you know, again... Why is that? So, this is because they want people to be outraged by the by how dare they make him do. Th- if you get arrested, that's what happens. I mean, the idea that they're it seems like they're trying to blow out of proportion things that seem benign in the process. The story is he's getting arrested, and that's what's crazy, and that's what's unjustified. To go through the nuance of what happens when anybody gets arrested and make that all seem like different points. Well, that's that's corporate media for you. So um, this is a huge development. If Alvin Bragg has decided to go ahead with a felony indictment of the former president, this was a a charge that the federal officials refused to prosecute on or even really pursue. We'll get into that. Uh, This was a misdemeanor in New York that Alvin Bragg has decided to elevate to a felony while at the same time downgrading other felonies to misdemeanors. So... We'll be watching this to see how it all unfolds to get more information as it comes in. Sandra? Yeah, in case, in case, you, in case you miss it, I mean, from my, my tone and my discussion, this is obviously politicized, which, by the way, all of this is, everything is. There's nothing not politicized in this, in, in this country, but largely what's going on today. But yes, th- this is obviously politicized. In so many, I mean, what you just heard right there, the obviously like bending this, bending this into appeal to a certain, you know, the way they want this to, to apply to Trump in general. Um, wait, did I, I hope it, oh, it's over there. Okay. I thought I didn't close that. We'll get into the, the nuance of, you know, what it's about and so on. But my, I wanted to focus on the, just the, the discussion, right. Of what's happening and how it's being framed already. 
just by those comments on Truth Social, which, by the way, shows you that these people are very clearly paying attention to what he's saying over here, even though they act like he's relegated to some dark corner where no one's looking, right? It's very clear that's not the case. But Olivia of Troy, which is a pretty presumptuous and hubristic name, especially with, uh, well, I shouldn't be mean, but if you guys know who Helen of Troy is, that's a, that's a reach. But Trump has issued a call for violence. That's what she says. Has he? I mean, that's a huge, that's a big statement. Issued a call for violence? He knows exactly what he's doing. Okay, well, your second statement seems to undermine that he did, in fact, do that. You seem to be interpreting it as that. He knows what he's doing. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Well, that's an assumption, which makes you juvenile. Republicans need to publicly rebuke this dangerous rhetoric that's not actually what he said, but we think he said, because we read between the lines. But you need to come out and, and rebuke what we think he meant the whole time. Like, think of how stupid this is. This guy follows up and says, so far, major MAGA right-wing U.S. chat groups are very angry, but also in disarray. Protest? Where? Who leads? When? How? A number of people? Yeah, not buying it. (laughs) Yeah, I firmly doubt this Thomas P. guy has the insight tap on all of these select different groups. This is just people. Everybody's out there lying to you right now, guys. Everybody everywhere, it seems. I mean, I'm being facetious. Obviously, not everybody in this sphere, the corporate media, and a lot of the two-party paradigm sycophants, and a lot of the independents as well are out there trying to manipulate the story for their benefit. All of this seems wildly overblown. But guess what? It's trickling down anyway. Here is somebody else going, McCarthy signals that he is fully behind Trump trying to incite violence and chaos. Okay, but so now that it's been established that clearly Trump has called for violence, now anybody out there saying Anything but that is now promoting Trump's incitement to violence, right? Now, we, when it just gets removed and three more steps removed, oh, and guess what? This guy, or is it this guy, or... Oh, it's the next one. Hold on. The, the, I'll, I'll get to it in a second. Here's all McCarthy said. And by the way, he's dark and dangerous. Dark and dangerous. Here we go again. An outrageous abuse of power by a radical DA who lets violent criminals walk as he pursues political vengeance against President Trump. I'm directing relevant committees to immediately investigate if federal funds are being used to subvert our democracy by interfering in elections with politically motivated prosecutions. Wow. Dark and dangerous. Can't you see the incitement to violence? My God, what a criminal. Now, truly, what is criminal is arguing that people are doing things that they're not. I mean, you could argue this is libel. But regardless of any of it, the point is that that's not what happened there. Either these people are completely like schizophrenic, like so they are completely broken to the point to where they actually think this is what's happening or they just don't care. And they're just literally trying to lie to you for their own benefit. This is the other one I was going to point out. This guy who clearly has no benefit in this all other than being the opponent of Kevin McCarthy, comes out and says, just came out in support of Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy did, telling Republicans to get in line and back the former president. Okay, so calling for support of a candidate running for president. Okay, I'm not seeing a problem yet. Kevin McCarthy is actively subverting the rule of law and promoting violence. Okay, okay. So this guy clearly sees all of the other sycophants out there on one side going, violence! And so he goes, aha, I need to win and I'm losing. So... Or rather just, you know, I might lose. And so the point is, I'm going to come out and make McCarthy look like the violent guy, not Trump. So McCarthy's the one doing it. All stemming from a lie about what Trump said. And now now McCarthy is actively subverting the rule of law by calling for legal processes. Smart. People that vote for these kind of people 
deserve what they get. I shouldn't say that, but it's how I feel right now. Here's the Lincoln Project. You know, this ridiculous entity that's completely part of a propaganda effort to lie about damn near everything they touch. Donald Trump is about to be indicted. So, of course, he's asking for violence, says this trustworthy entity. Anybody saying this right now should be immediately dismissed because they're either willing to lie to you or can't discern obvious realities from lies or fabrications. This is what he said. Hey, gang, it's Reed. Today, I've got a question for two Republican members of Congress. Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania used to be an FBI agent. Don Bacon from Nebraska used to be a general in the Air Force. Donald Trump, the Republican leader, is calling for violence. Nope, not even remotely. He is about to be indicted. He wants violence in its wake. What will you do? So now we're speaking about what he wants afterward? Like these people should be laughed out of town. So we're, we're assuming that he wants something based on what he said, but that's not what he said. So we think that's what he means. Then we're going to argue what he wants after that. Like, this is childishly stupid. I don't know why anybody acts like these kind of corporate media entities that tell you what Putin wants or what he's feeling or what Trump would like to do. Why anybody gives them any level of respect? The only reason they get it is because they get pat on the head by the establishment that wants this kind of garbage. And then people in these fields then somehow begin to believe that that is good or it is intelligent or it is journalism. You see how they begin to buy their own BS. That's what's happening today. And sometimes that gets out of control, like we're seeing with the earlier topic we just went into. Do will you call for him to be tried under the rule of law that makes the United States what it is? Which rule is that? Oh, just the general. He won't try Trump under the rule of law. Apparently, that's a thing. Just the rule of law. I charge you under the rule of law. Now, it's obviously not what he meant. It's stupid. It's broad. Because there is no... Go ahead and cite the law he's breaking right now. He can't do that. That's why he said, the rule of law. So now you're calling for calling for, for criminal charges based on the assumption of what you think he meant and might want tomorrow. You should laugh at these people. Or will you go with MAGA? The world waits for your answers. Let us know. Or will you go with MAGA? Will you go with Make America Great Again? Really, what he means is the group they pretend that means or implies, which really to them, as they try to argue otherwise when they're put to it, all Republicans. That's what they're doing. That's what they say. Read what they tell you. When they say, when they tell you who they are, listen to them. How in the world you can pretend it makes sense for these people to argue half the country or more is all part of some, you know, it, it, these people are dangerous. And that's the, that's the, the truth of all of it. And all these people inside the two party, inside the two party paradigm are. But this, this is just next level. Trump could have asked his supporters to peacefully protest. Okay. So instead, he posted, take our nation back, which again, is what he's been saying. I mean, do your due diligence, guys. How many times do you want to point out he said that long before this moment or before January 6th, before there was a reason to argue he meant to some kind of election steal? This has been his statement before this because he argued our country was already stolen, which arguably we can all agree with, that our country has been taken away from us by the people like these entities. And I would argue, including Donald Trump. The bottom line, though, is you can't pretend he meant anything other than what it said. On top of the fact that by not saying peacefully, the implication is that it is violent, right? So if I'm going to go driving today, did I mean that's a violent drive because I didn't say peacefully driving? These people are stupid. If you don't see a problem with this, potentially inciting violence, potential inciting violence god you can't even stick with it you're in your own paragraph then you simply don't care about our nation 
So unless you're willing to completely guess into what we think he means, you don't care about the country. The only way to take our nation back is to prosecute a former president who breaks the law. Same thing, right? Explain, point out that, like, here's the thing. Think about these people who are going so far to try to accuse him of a crime for this. Meanwhile, don't care that he illegally bombed Afghanistan, illegally bombed Syria, illegally stole resources from Syria, illegally occupied places in the Golan Heights or allowed Israel to, or continued basically every field of war they were involved in, or rolled out the biggest medical, tyrannical operation, as far as I can tell in history. You know, none of that matters, though. Nothing about that matters. There's a thousand different things you could clearly point out he's involved with that any entity involved with the U.S. government is clearly responsible for. But all they're going to focus on is something that you for sure know he won't actually be charged with. Starting to feel honest. Otherwise, the rule of law is dead and democracy soon will follow. Great. Unless you do what I think, then you're dumb and everyone's wrong. That seems like a smart argument, right? Less than two months ago, this person writes, Facebook bent their own rules and restored Donald Trump's account. In doing so, they explained that they determined that the risk of violence associated with Trump's no longer existed. YouTube restored his account yesterday. Now, I actually haven't confirmed that's even accurate. I couldn't find his channel. But regardless, we know that Facebook did do that. And the idea being, or rather the question I wanted to ask. As, we, as you can clearly sense that I think this is BS. And I think it's clearly being framed in a way to just get what they want out of it. We should ask a real question on the other side of this, those that are able to do so and not only go down one partisan, you know, rabbit hole. Is it alternatively possible that this was given back to him both on YouTube and Facebook with the in the hopes that he would respond in a way that would be used against him or even more so that in hopes that he would play the role he was designed to role in this play in this whole thing. Like think about the idea of giving him back his channels and then executing this agenda. I mean, it seems like a side up to me. But then on top of that, maybe he is part of it. Well, here is what he ultimately said. Now, that being said, what I said a moment ago, just said, this discussion kind of goes the other direction. I just always like to consider the possibilities, right? But here is what actually happened. This is, to, this is yesterday. Trump will surrender to face charges if indicted. <laughs> so all of this nonsense being blown out of proportion, and his lawyer already said, look, if it happens, I'm, I'm going to go. And yet we're having this in-depth conversation about how Trump's going to do this. Like when you listen to these dumb morning talk shows and the way that they're hyping all, like, what if he does this and what if he calls that? I bet you Trump won't even do it. I bet you he'll make the Secret Service do, stop them from taking it. All of it's nonsense. Former President Trump will follow the normal procedure in surrendering to face criminal charges if indicted by a Manhattan grand jury, his lawyer said. So I guess they just missed their own coverage. Or it's more important to them to hype this for some propaganda reason. Trump is under criminal investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office in connection to a hush money payment. Get this. This is what it all stems around. His former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, made to porn star Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels. This is still stemming from Stormy Daniels shortly before 2016 election. So, no, again, we don't care about all the crimes we can prove because those crimes tie back to the government and everybody else involved. No, no, we're going to hype up some ridiculous our alleged payment given to Stormy Daniels. That's what we care about. Not all the people murdered in Yemen, not all the crimes committed everywhere, not, not the injection that's murdering everybody around the world. None of that, though, just Stormy Daniels payment. Yeah, this is how dumb, truly ignorant they think people are. They're, they're just so very wrong. And they're finding that out. Now, we'll have to wait and see what happens, obviously. <laughs> I mean, personally, 
This feels like a nothing burger to me. It feels like something is going to you know, fizzle out, especially if it stems with this. Now, let me take it one step further. That's, that is what I think, and I think this is going to end up being nothing much. But if they do arrest him and it becomes some kind of a scene, that's one thing that's going to probably drive people to take action irrationally. But on top of that, if they actually do try to get, put him in jail because of this ridiculous event, knowing how often basically every person in political power bribes and manipulates, it, it, that would be a huge deal to me. Whether Not because of Trump, but just because that's a big deal. And they're doing this as what I think in order to drive the kind of violent divide that I think they're desperate to achieve right now. That'd be my opinion. But we'll have to wait and see what happens on, what, Tuesday, I think, is when this is supposed to be done. So let me know. Let me know what you see. But interestingly enough, alongside all of this, I, I, I don't know why I think that... At the very least, I wanted to talk about these alongside each other. I found it to be really interesting. The whole discussion, Russiagate, Trump and Putin and everything... It's just strange. At the same time, all of a sudden, the ICC issues an arrest warrant for Putin over alleged war crimes. Now, what's really ridiculous to me, the ICC, which is so clearly now just a politicized entity, is issuing a warrant over what? Over allegations coming from the entity that they're currently fighting. I mean, I really, I don't know what, what, criminal what court out there would actually take this seriously enough to issue an arrest warrant i mean come on like that's wild and now just wait and all the things you're probably thinking right now just wait we'll get into the the hypocrisy around the icc and the u.s government and so on the court said friday that russian leader is responsible for overseeing the forced deportation of children that's the argument now we'll come back to this article this is something separately happening simultaneously in the ICC Putin segment here. This is posted on 17th, yesterday. Telegraph, Telegraph Global Health Security. It says, weeks after a Ukrainian town is liberated, that you could you know, assume that's how people there feel about that, its citizens are visited by sexual violence persecute, pro- prosecutors and asked, sexual violence prosecutors and asked an indirect question. That's just poorly written. Did the Russians behave? The answers have been harrowing. Of course, no paywall when they want you to see it. Now, the real the point about this is that it's, it's, it's what you might expect. Now, I'm not going to say ever that that's not possible, as I've made very clear before. In any situation of war, you have human beings that are acting in, in areas where there's basically no legal repercussions, at least not immediately. You're acting at the barrel of a gun. You're literally killing people for the objective of a government. So what's one more person to that person's mind? Now, I'm not justifying that. These people are terrible. In fact, I think war is terrible, and people involved in war are being driven to terrible acts by people that are manipulating them, by and large, for some idea of freedom or democracy or whatever else. The point is that any of them are capable of it and are. And I will get into the history of the U.S. government around this, which should be considered. But are we going to pretend that Russian soldiers are not capable of doing it? Of course they are. Everyone is capable in the context of war. Every side, I should say, is capable potentially of acting on these kind of things because people, bad people exist everywhere, or at least morally ambiguous people that will be willing to take advantage of somebody, right? So do not hear this as the argument that this is impossible or didn't happen. That's not what the argument is here. My point is, there's no way we could possibly know. 
because the person investigating this is a Ukrainian entity, lead prosecutor of this brand new unit documenting war crimes in the middle of a war, apparently, working for the Ukrainian military government who has routinely, and I mean routinely, one after another been caught lying about just these kinds of stories. So it certainly could be true, but why is it so easy for people like the Telegraph and Guardian to take this without question because Ukraine said so? It seems pretty stupid to me. It seems like like it doesn't matter because this is what they're supposed to be talking about. Now, this is a disgusting article. You can read through this. It's horrible. Really graphic. But the point is, first of all, this just stood out to me. This Apparently, this discussion about a woman being raped, that she's claiming that the Russian soldiers came in and said, well, she asked them not to touch her, and they said, your Ukrainian soldiers are killing us. Now, really think about that. Does that sound like something that either side would say? No, that sounds like something that you would want to be heard from a propaganda story, or rather the Ukrainian soldier might say, acting like that. I mean, think about that. That's just a thought. But the idea that these Russian soldiers are going to be like, you guys, you're, you guys are winning. Really? Well, think for yourself. The real point, though, is this. Ukraine, Ukraine has become the first country to begin documenting the mountain evidence, mounting evidence while its troops battle on. Yeah, mid-war, they're also... Oh, good, I thought I lost that. Mid-war... They're also documenting war crimes, right? Because that makes sense. Well, even if you think that is happening, they've lied about Ghost of Kiev, about soldiers raping children with Viagra, and then another story about soldiers just raping other people was also shown to be false, actually admitted to being a grand lie in order to win support for Ukraine. They've lied about a thousand different things. The, the train station attack, which was proven to be coming from Ukrainian territory, and the media just dropped it and ran. Or how about every Bucha or any number of events that we've proven to you included groups like Maxar Technologies, a CIA cutout that ultimately got caught lying about when they took the satellite imagery. And then everyone just moved forward. Guess who's involved this time as well? You won't be surprised. The bottom line is Ukraine is the one doing the accusing. And I don't know why that makes sense to anybody. Quote, the soldiers try to hide their information. Okay, well, couldn't that mean that they're Ukrainian soldiers pretending? Yes, especially since they've routinely been caught with Russian uniforms and Russian materials, leaving scene, throwing down Russian materials on the street when they leave, on video. But yeah, but none of this matters because there's no interest from the Telegraph to look into these things. But we ask people to describe their features, their accents, their uniforms. Open source intelligence, otherwise social media, which involves piecing together fragments of information from online and from satellite imagery. So bottom line is they have posts coming from Ukrainian entities on the ground, or arguably, and satellite imagery. That's what they have. That's what this is about. Now just wait until we get to what the group is providing this stuff. Only seven men have been formally identified. So they're reporting hundreds of these reports, right? And of all of them, only seven of them have identified, only one case has been closed. One. And that's even with this dishonest entity, but yet this whole thing has been parroted around the world, and we're talking about this gigantic story, but one case has been closed. With the perpetrator found guilty in abstentia, which means they ruled and found him guilty when he's not even there. So clearly in this democracy, you have the right to defend yourself, right? Mar- uh, Marina is one of those adverse to reporting her crime to the police. Well, basically repeating, and this is people that are like afraid to talk to the police, and they love to frame this as somehow like that Russians might come back in and take them and do something. But 
read between the lines and the history of the real of what we've shown you right up until now, like Vice's coverage of the trans community. The story is not they're afraid of you of, of Russians. They're afraid of Ukrainian government military now because they're being beaten, raped, robbed from. That was the story during this certain current situation. But we're supposed to pretend it doesn't happen elsewhere. Or the fact that this is what these people are saying, it feels scary to talk to the police. That's not because they're trying to frame this as because she says, I can't talk with you. It's, I can talk with you. It's easier. But with men, I'm not able to trust them. Now, you can argue that means because she was raped. And that probably is the case to some degree, if this is the real story. The truth, though, is that these are the men that they're already afraid of, even if they're also afraid of the Russians. That is unbelievably on the surface. If they're actually reporting the full story, they'll tell them that they're afraid to talk to them because they will also do the same things. And maybe we're the ones that did it in the first place. Ukrainians have long been wary of law enforcement with allegations of corruption rife in the years before. Of course, right. Think about how dumb that is. The allegations are that corruption was rife before the war, but suddenly it just got better during the war. Obviously, it got worse, if not at the very least stayed the same, because things during wartime are far more easy to pull off. In Bucha, where alleged atrocities against civilians sparked global outrage, you know, the, which we'll show you again, completely stemmed from Maxar Technologies, which is a CIA cutout, they describe how anxiety is mounting. I think that was it. The real point is just Ukraine says, that's it. Certainly could be true. Or it could be another ghost of Kiev or another raping soldiers with Viagra, all of which have been proven to be false. Even Ukraine's military admitted that they were false, right? So but remember, the children's story that the ICC is using to issue the warrant for his arrest is one part of this. Now, this is happening simultaneously, and I find it hard to believe they're not connected. But ultimately, this is just that the, the, the West warrant, I guess, only has to do with children being trafficked. Well, just to overlap this, though, with the reality, as they're only looking at things that they want to claim Russian soldiers did, but at the only being reported by Ukrainians on the ground that they're fighting, here's Patrick Lancaster, just searching generally for his reports, and I want to show you a couple things. This one says, Facebook is now threatening to disable his account because he, post, because he posted and exposed a threat by a pro-Ukrainian in which they said he would rape and execute his wife because of his journalism. He showed that, and then they threatened to delete his account. Same thing here. Another time, this is before that, Facebook threatened to disable his account for hate speech. Why? Because he posted what they were saying, that they were threatening to rape and execute his family. Think about what that means. One-sided coverage. Here's Eva Bartlett pointing something out around Ukraine, saying, incredibly disturbing but necessary reading. This is May 13, 2022. Polish researchers have uncovered 135 methods of torture and murder practiced by Ukrainian nationalists. We're talking about Azov movement, right sector, Svoboda. These are the entities that are largely carrying it out, but have influenced a lot of the country. Running children through with stakes. Now, if you have a, if you have a stomach, read this. You understand what's really going on and has been. But this is happening now, and they're just ignoring this. And then and ask whether this might in fact be Ukrainians pretending to be Russians. Just something we should ask, especially when you have no evidence other than Ukraine says and this kind of stuff on the record. Sawing a person's torso in half with a carpenter's saw. Cutting open a pregnant woman's abdomen, abdomen 
abd- abdomen, excuse me, and pouring in broken glass, nailing a small child to a door. Apologize for how graphic this is, just words, but you need to understand this stuff. The existence of torture rooms in Kiev, Kiev City Hall, which, were, which was seized by peaceful protesters at the end of 2013. Kiev journalist uh, Sergei uh, Rulev describes his experience in the torture chamber. In the courtyard, unknown people in camouflage fatigues bound my hands, stripped me to my underwear, and continued to beat me. That sounds like every other picture we've seen. After that, the four of them pinned me to the floor, injected something into my arm again, and said, now we're going to talk, now you're going to talk to us, B-I-T-C-H. Which special services do you work for? Once he was tied up, an unknown woman began to rip out Sergi's nails with pliers. Subsequently, he identified this sadist as Amina Okuyev, who later fought in the ATO zone as part of the neo-Nazi Kiev 2 and these other battalions. She was awarded the title People's Hero of Ukraine for her efforts. Perhaps the most horrific crime committed by Ukrainian nationalists is the, was the creation of a prison in the refrigerator at the airport in Mariupol. Mariupol, don't forget all the lies we were told about what happened to people there, even though this was largely shown later to be done by Ukrainian nationalists, Ukrainian neo-Nazis, and Ukrainian military. This was in June of 2014, which the jailers called the library. There, Mariupol residents were subjected to beatings, death by torture, rape, for even the suspicion of harboring sympathies for Russia or the unrecognized Eastern Republics. The library was headed by SBU. That's the you know, secret service of, of Ukrainian military, whose chief was friend of the leader of the right sector. Yeah, but, you know, totally, obviously not something they would be capable of, right? Here's another example. Inside former uh, IDR, uh, Nazi factions active and brutal in Ukraine prison in, in uh, Polyvenik, a region now secured by the Lugansk People's Republic. Former prisoners spoke of torture, rape, mock, mock executions in the prison, formerly under the control of Ukraine, the West Bastion of democracy and freedom. The sadistic images well depict what the I stand with Ukraine crowd really stand with, as you can see. Videos from the prison and video testimonies to follow when time and internet allow. The, the, remember, we've read reports from the Atlantic Council in 2020 talking about exactly this kind of stuff for, for media. It's horrific how obvious this is, and they know that, which shows you they don't really care about this stuff. Terrorists in Syria, likewise, had unusual and usually underground prisons where they held and tortured civilians. All of this is covered up by the very people that support them. Here's just a report from 2011 from The Guardian. Rape in the U.S. military, America's dirty little secret. Sexualized violence against Iraqi women by U.S. occupying forces. Here's Daily Mail. I didn't think of Iraqis as humans, says U.S. soldier who raped 14-year-old girl before killing her and her family. Sexual assault in the U.S. military. It's, it's, this is according to Wikipedia. Sexual assault in, this is not foreign policy. This is within the military on, so, on U.S. soil or in bases overseas. Sexual assault in the U.S. military armed forces is an ongoing issue which has received extensive media coverage in the past. A 2012 Pentagon survey found that approximately 26,000 women and men were sexually assaulted just that year. This is within their own military. But we're going to pretend like this isn't going on anywhere else. At where they're occupying and breeding and training. Of those, only 3,374 cases were reported. Only 3,374 of 26,000 sexual assaults were reported. That's it. In 2013, a new Pentagon report found that 5,061 troops reported cases of assault. 
We're talking about sexual assault. Of, of the reported cases, only 484 went into trial. 376 resulted in convictions. Another investigation found that one in five women in the U.S. Air Force who were sexually assaulted by service members even reported it. A survey for the Department of Defense conducted in 2015 found that in the past year, just in 2015, 52% of active service members who reported sexual assault had experienced retaliation in the form of professional, social, and administrative actions of punishment. That means the, the leadership punished them for saying something about it. Now let's pretend like that's not influencing what happens overseas. I'm not pretending this is a unique thing to the U.S. government, but my God, let's be real about what's actually going on, and especially when they outsource it to their even worse entities, like the moderate rebels or the you know, Ukrainian freedom fighters. Clearly, it's even worse. And then you can see plenty of stuff we could go over and just make it make military, military sexual abuse, a greater menace than combat, sexualized violence against Iraqi women, U.S. military plagued by sexual assault. Rape was rampant during the Vietnam War. U.S. soldiers told to ignore sexual abuse by boys in Afghanistan over and over and over. And how dare we how, you know, how they think they have the right to accuse other entities is beyond me. Here's from CNN. 2018. From fellow soldier to monster in uniform. Talking about the U.S. military. Well, let's come back to the ICC. Right? Okay, so all that is building on how they're trying to build this narrative about what's going on here. NBC News, as of yesterday. The court said Friday that Russian leader is responsible for overseeing the forced deportation of children. It's weird how they frame it that way. Overseeing a forced deportation. Now, it, they made this argument in the beginning when Russia was letting in refugees. And they said, that, that's illegal. They can't just let people. The point is people didn't, they wanted to get out of the area. And they said anybody that went there was, the point is they were murdering people that tried to go to Russia. That was easily proven. They just didn't want people to do that because they would then, one, tell them what was really going on. And two, it would be clear that they wanted to go there. Right? And this was very easy to prove. So the question here is whether that's what they're doing again and framing this as, deportation forced or, you know, when it really is rescuing children or however you want to look at it. Now, in no way am I arguing that it's not maybe exactly what it looks like. We don't know is the point. But what's interesting is how the ICC gets called into this by the very entities that actively ignore and disrespect and disregard the ICC as an entity. This, you know, it's the same way the U.S. government says, how dare you violate the U.N. Treaty on X, Y, and Z, while they actively ignore things they don't care about, about the UN, you know, about occupation of Iraq or Syria or Afghanistan or the Golan Heights or any number of things they are supposed to care about, but just don't. That's, that's hypocrisy. You don't get to use these tools when you don't, when, you know, that's a bad analogy. You don't get to lean on the UN or international entities to go after your adversaries when you don't care about them when they come after you, which is the main point here. But this says Putin committed the war crime of overseeing an unlawful abduction and deportation of children from Ukraine to Russia, the court said in a news release. Okay, well, where'd that come from? Ukraine military. Not joking. There are responsible grounds, reasonable grounds to believe that Putin bears individual criminal responsibility for the aforementioned crime. So not only did they have proven this, but so Ukraine comes in and says it's happening. They haven't proven this, but they issue a warrant? 
I mean, there's reason to argue that this court is ridiculous at this point, clearly, but think about how ridiculous that is. And they're talking about the, based in The Hague, Netherlands, and their pre-trial judges had assessed. It added that Putin had failed to, quote, exercise control properly over civilian and military subordinates who committed the acts. Okay, so now you're arguing, well, people on the ground did it. Well, Putin's been, he, the point is he said that he's overseas, or rather this was, well, I think we'll get into it next. The bottom line is if you're arguing about the subordinates who did something, well, by that definition, then the U.S. military is rightly responsible for everything that their people did on the ground, especially since we can prove that in many cases, like in Iraq, they were ordered to rape people or ordered to murder children. This has been testimony. This is there's testimony from soldiers who were ordered to do these things. Of course, it doesn't get talked about by the corporate media. The bottom line is, it's amazing how they can stretch this into whatever they want to go after their enemies. But of course, it doesn't work in reverse because, well, we're fighting for freedom, right? That's not a trump card, guys. That's how they love to play it. You don't get to murder as long as you scream freedom while you're breaking the law. It's okay, right? From the early days of the invasion last February, Kiev has accused Russia of forcibly transferring children and adults. There's your point. That's what I'm talking about. They've been saying this from the beginning. And we pr we've proven that a lot of this was just simply people who wanted to go there. Russian officials have consistently denied the accusations, calling them a fantasy aimed at discrediting Russia. Russia's embassy to the United States said last month that the country had taken in children who were forced to flee, flee from the fighting. Right. So the embassy is on the record. That doesn't mean it was some kind of abstract action by some lone soldier. This was discussed, and the government's taken it. Yes, we are taking in people fleeing. Now, I'm not saying that's true. Question what they're saying, too. But evidence always matters, not just one entity saying who's involved in this, by the way, that they know, but we can't prove it to you. The warrant for Putin comes a day after the UN-backed inquiry cited Russian attacks against civilians in Ukraine. See, it's, it's all interconnected including systematic torture and killing in occupied regions, among potential issues that amount to war crimes and possible crimes against humanity. All of this stems from Ukraine narrative. But it could be true. Ukraine is not a member of the court, which doesn't seem to make sense. But of course, it's granted the ICC jurisdiction over its territory. And ICC prosecutor Kareem Khan has visited four times since opening investigation a year ago. Well, clearly they know everything then, right? Clearly, this is the ICC has been manipulated for a long time from many different angles. But the idea of this is, I, my opinion, is this has been from an angle of the U.S. centric mindset. From a time when not too long ago, they were actively going after the U.S. and the government for their crimes and the military. Quote, it now puts pressure on any country which is a signatory to the ICC, to the Rome Statute to arrest him if he ever travels to those countries. So what's interesting is this is going to be argued, the U.S. is going to argue that this is, you know, binding and, and international. But of course, when it gets aimed at them, it's the exact opposite. And then just one more point, and this says, as, and this is the important part about where they're getting the information from, according to Zero Edge, as part of the West's attempt to ramp up pressure on President Putin, the International Criminal Court on Friday issued an arrest warrant for the Russian leader. It's a largely symbolic step given detaining Putin remains entirely un unenforceable, but is enough to create a firestorm of hyped and breathless headlines. I agree completely. They, even here, they, the ICC said a statement that Putin is allegedly responsible. Think about the goal to issue an arrest warrant based on allegations. 
According to Axios, it stems from allegations that Russia systematically relocated at least 6,000 children from Ukraine to Russia since the start of the war. Based on findings by a group called Conflict Observatory and their report published in February, which is interesting. First of all, has anybody followed up to see if those 6,000 children are still in Russia? If, if so, are they okay? Are they living with in, in, in some kind of social care? Like, if that's the case, then, like, what's the argument? Are they trafficking them for some kind of various purposes? Or are you literally just arguing that they did so illegally, but they're taking care of them now? Like, think about what the argument matters, doesn't it? I think the implication is somehow that this is some nefarious act, right? But that's in no, nothing I'm seeing, including the reports. Is there any indication of what happened to them? I bet you it's pretty obvious. But again, that would be a guess because we don't have the information. So the evidence and the facts would ultimately matter. And if they're trying to already arrest, issue warrants when they don't even know what's going on with these children, I mean, come on. It's obvious this is politicized. Now, it says the Kremlin respond, responded quickly to the ICC warrants, stressing that Russia doesn't recognize the international court, calling its decisions legally void. However, this is the reason they don't recognize it is only reasonably new because this is something they don't want to engage with as the U.S. completely disregards it. So I believe they are a signatory to it, whereas the U.S. is just disregarded as far as I can tell. But it says he blasted the attempt to go after the recognized head of state of Russia as outrageous and unacceptable. Recent debate of the Hague-based ICC ahead of Friday's announcement certainly put Washington in an awkward position. This is interesting. With Axios pointing out that the New York Times reported earlier this month that the Pentagon was actually blocking the Biden administration from sharing or at least alleging that they had something they could share, U.S. intelligence with the ICC about Russian war crimes in Ukraine. Why? For fear that it could set a precedent for prosecuting Americans. Now, personally, I feel like that's a deftly executed manipulation to act like they have something they just can't show you, which is always what they do. Trust you. You could trust that if the U.S. government had proof that Russia committed crimes, this would be already on Twitter everywhere you look leaked out by some god whatever however they lie to you and put it in front of everybody the bottom line is even when they're trying to put it out there that they've got secret information they just can't share the reasoning is that well they could set a precedent where we might be accountable (laughs) can't have that silly isn't it well here's the group they're talking about the conflict observatory the ukraine conflict observatory is an american non-governmental organization which analyzes and publicizes evidence of Russian war crimes. Note that there's not and Ukraine and uh, no. So this is a group that was created and funded by Ukraine and U.S. entities to only look at Russia. Let's wonder if they're going to find what they're looking for. Think about that. Your entire entity, your entire standing is based on whether or not you can achieve in finding what you're looking for. So I argue if you don't find anything, well, then what, what are we paying you for? <laughs> Even if you think it's honest, the point is they're going to they're, they're incentivized to find what they're looking for. They're not looking on both sides. So it's, it's it, from its inception, it's dishonest. And now the point is they use open source intelligence, as we pointed out, and commercial satellite imagery. Can you guess which company? It was announced by none other than Ned Price. At a State Department briefing, the initial $6 million investment was provided by the State Department. Totally trustworthy, right? Because we know the State Department always tells the truth. I mean, guys, it's, it's ridiculous. On its surface, this thing is a complete propaganda platform. But here's the real point. Well, this went away too, of course. 
The newly established Conflict Observatory will use open source investigation techniques and satellite imagery to monitor the conflict in Ukraine and collect evidence of war crimes. And it says right here, a U.S. State Department spokesperson. The U.S. Observatory will have access to commercial satellite data and imagery from the U.S. government. So that's one part of it. Just so we can see clearly, this is not some independent thing. They are being fed data and imagery from a, a, a very clearly compromised entity, at the very least in this dynamic, but I think in general, right? But even more important, weirdly enough, you can search all day long in everything writing about the observatory, the, the conflict observatory, and where it's doing, how it's getting, but guess what you'll find very difficult to locate? The fact that Maxar Technologies is in fact working with them. And the only way I found that was because Maxar Technologies themselves couldn't help but brag about it on their own website. But what's funny is it's not listed anywhere. I don't think that's by accident. Here's what it says. Maxar imagery will be instrumental in helping organizations such as the U.S. State Department funded Conflict Observatory Program capture, analyze, and expose evidence of war crimes in Ukraine. Well, no, specifically of Russian war crimes that you are only looking for. You're not just looking for war crimes in Ukraine because you're not looking for Ukrainian war crimes. You're only looking for Russian war crimes. That's your stated agenda. And if you don't remember, please take time to watch this discussion. Key Bucha evidence came directly from Maxar Technologies, which is indeed a CIA cutout. The point is, guys, it's already been proven that the time they took their imagery, that they claimed proved that Russia was responsible, there, you, there, are, there are apps and platforms where you can look at the placement of satellites. They did not have a satellite in place at the time they claimed they were able to take it. And again, just like the last discussions, this dropped and they went to the next story. Please read this if you want more information on Maxar Technologies. This is very clearly, a, the person running it is, is a CIA operative. And here they are telling you that they're the, they are instrumental, which means that's where they're getting their satellite imagery. It's the U.S. State Department and a CIA cutout. And that's how they're getting this information. That's how they're issuing warrants for Putin. That's how they're arguing that these people are criminals. This, this is everything. At the very least, it should be questionable, right? Well, here is what they're saying now. That this is needs to this is a you know we need to go basically that these people are criminals and we need to go after but guess what or i'll just let the the videos speak for themselves the the comparison is is well done this is an important moment in the process of justice before the icc the judges have reviewed the information and evidence submitted by the prosecutor and determined that there are credible allegations against these persons for the other Right. Why? Well, because of imagery sent by intelligence apparatus, you know, intelligence agencies, and by allegations from Ukraine. I don't know why any honest investigator can argue that that's, that's even remotely enough for a warrant. Are you really going to pretend like what you're seeing from satellite, if it's even honest, could not have been done before you saw it? That it has to be Russia? Like, I argue this person is completely compromised if this is what's happening. And then, of course, it compares to, you know, the absolute proof we had about there being no doubt about world, uh, weapons of mass destruction. But Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. There is no doubt that he is amassing them to use them against our friends, against our allies, and against us. As liberators, and I do believe we will be greeted as liberators.
Um, the read we get on the people of Iraq is there's no question but what they want to get rid of Saddam Hussein, and they will welcome as liberators the United States. Or not at all. Or he was just saying what he wanted you to think, and that's even not, they never even believed that was the reality, right? The point is the same thing's happening now, right? No doubt, he said. No doubt. Now ask yourself, either, either he thought that, which is dangerous because that's clearly not what happened, or he knowingly lied to you because they wanted you to think that. It does, does it really matter at this point? We just need to realize who these people are and have always been, and they're the same people driving this now. Here's Patrick Lancaster in the context of children, like they're talking about children suffering. Well, we should consider what's actually happening to children on the ground right now under the control of the very fascist neo-Nazi Nazi elements in Ukraine, as we've been proving since the very beginning. Right? I mean, we in the context of coverage, people like Patrick Lancaster, Eva Bartlett, Vanessa Bealey, Wyatt Reed, they're the people on the ground actually covering this. Children victims of Ukrainian shelling in Donetsk. I have gone to the main trauma hospital in Donetsk to meet those injured. I spoke to the assistant head of the hospital. He told us there are 20 shell victims and four children. Here's another example. Another example. This is a different story of 15 civilians and four children. And it's a, it's a graphic, disgusting story of children being murdered at these locations by Ukrainian shelling over and over and over. Here's a, a, a video you should watch, which is just horrifying, horrifying. Children being targeted by Ukraine in Ukraine war zone. Unfortunately, as a result of the Ukrainian shelling, of uh, Petrovka district. A nine-year-old child was injured. His family home was completely destroyed. I mean, I go on forever. There's so many examples of this, and it, as well as really disgusting stuff that I don't feel like getting into today. And then just the overlap of how hypocritical this all is. Garland Nixon makes the obvious point, going back to uh, the ICC judge being threatened. More than once, by the way, I believe Pompeo at one point. I know uh, Mr. Walrus with the, uh, Bolton, clearly threatened them openly and their families. This is an article from France 24. U.S. threatens to arrest ICC judges if they pursue Americans for Afghan war crimes. Not because they're lying about it, but because they're not able to do it. So we know we committed crimes. We're above you. That's the reality here, guys. So think about the goal of an entity using this court to go after another entity, which is the very least arguably at the same level. You're both nuclear powers and the idea that you can sick one on the other but not adhere to it. It's just ridiculous. Garland is always doing a great job seeing through the lines. Now, this I didn't even know about. This kind of blew my mind. John McAvoy points out, now that the ICC has issued, this is from 2000. 23, he posts this. Now that the ICC has issued an arrest warrant for Putin, it's worth recalling in 2002, the U.S. signed the Hague Invasion Act. At first, I was like, this can't be real. The law, not that I'm thinking like, that they're not capable of it, but to actually call it that. The law states that if any U.S. or U.S. allied official is charged with war crimes at the ICC, the U.S. can use military force to free them. So not only are they going, we don't care what you say, but they've put an act out that says knowing, but think about after 2001, knowing what they were about to get into, they made sure that they could not be held accountable. That if you do so, well, we're going to invade the court. We're going to send the U.S. military to free our war criminals, but we're going to call out everybody else. Just disgusting. Here it is right here. This is 2002. A new law supposedly protecting U.S. service members from the International Criminal Court shows the Bush administration will stop at nothing, and this is from the Human Rights Watch, stop at nothing in its campaign against the court. 
U.S. President George Bush signed a law that the American Service Members Protection Act of 2002, which is intended to intimidate countries that ratify the treaty for the ICC. The new law authorizes the use of military force to liberate any American or citizen of a U.S. allied country being held by that court, which is located in The Hague. This is Saudi Arabia. This is Israel. They don't care. They don't care if they committed the crimes. That's what they even made this clear. If they go, if they commit a crime, they are not able to be held accountable because they're our ally. But we're going to call out everything we don't like about our enemies. This provision, dubbed the Hague Invasion Clause, has caused a strong reaction from U.S. allies ar- around the world, particularly the Netherlands. In addition, the law provides for the withdrawal of U.S. military assistance from countries ratified by the ICC Treaty. So not only are they doing so, but they're actually threatening. This is why it's dangerous to get into bed with groups like this, because then they become reliant on that assistance. And then they go, well, you know what? We're going to leave you high and dry if you don't do exactly what we want you to do. That's called sovereignty, according to the U.S. government. Quote, the states that have ratified this treaty are trying to strengthen the rule of law, according to the director of the International Justice Program at the Human Rights Watch. The Bush administration is trying to punish people for doing that. You know, the opposite is what they say out loud, right? Fighting for freedom and democracy. However, another provision of the bill allows the United States, think about this, to assist international efforts to bring to justice those accused of genocide, war crimes, or crimes against humanity, including efforts by the ICC. So, of course, have your cake and eat it too, right? You can't hold us accountable, but we make sure we're allowed to involve ourselves with you doing it to other people. Unaccountable. That's what this is. Criminal unaccountable, rampant lawlessness. And speaking of rampant lawlessness and, you know, zombie banks or zombie something, here is somebody who I hate to force you to listen to because it kind of, you know, makes you feel a little bit sick. But at the end of the day, this is what she's trying to argue. Now, it might sound in the beginning like she's talking about something, oh my God, she's about to be honest. Well, no, because she turns it into what you might not expect or what you maybe you see coming. Either way, think about the inherent hypocrisy, the lack of self-awareness in this statement their own comfort zones. We don't even want to hear things we disagree with. We don't want to hear different opinions from people who we have already concluded are outside the pale of our comfort zone. Yeah. Are you talking about your party? Are you talking about the government at large? No, she's not. But you, you would be, mis- you'd be forgiven for thinking otherwise. You cannot run a society, let alone make peace for long if that is your ingoing attitude. Exactly, which is why they have that attitude, because these people do not want peace. I have nothing to learn from this person. I do not see him, her, as a fellow human being. Uh-oh, uh-oh, did she just misgender an entire society? That's not all, that's the only, only two. Yeah, of course, but she gets a pass because she's on their side, right? The point is, clearly, is she not describing Donald Trump? Is she pretending that she listens to his opinions? even though she doesn't like him? Obviously not, right? Disgusting hypocrite. There is no reason for us to talk. That is what we see happening in Ukraine today. Oh, okay, in Ukraine, okay. Jeez, you'd be forgiven if you thought it was going a thousand other directions. Apparently, in Ukraine, that's the reality. Now, again, you might even be forgiven by thinking maybe she's going to talk about how that's happening because the Ukraine military is completely absorbed in their own mindset and doesn't care and is abusing people and is trying to, you know, everything. No, not even that. The Russian aggression (laughs) is aimed at dehumanizing the Ukrainian people. Oh, is that what it is? 
dehumanizing them or is that the people that are taping people to lampposts and raping people and abusing people? And I'm not talking about the story we just talked about. I'm talking about the provable evidence that we know is happening in Ukraine. Or any number of examples of them shooting their own people or those trying to defect or forcing trans women to keep fighting because they say they're men or all these things that they claim they care about. None of that matters, though, but it's the allegation that Russia is doing this to dehumanize them. Well, show me where that's happening other than what they wink, wink, say Putin's trying to accomplish. They are not worthy of existing. So why should anybody care whether they are bombed into oblivion? Is that what's happening? Has at any point Russia even remotely tried to overtake the entire country? Or are they saying very clearly on the surface that they want to take back the areas that are being ethnically cleansed? Because they're the people who are being bombed out of existence. And that's the true story. And they know that. These horrible human beings are too nice. Are trying to frame what they're doing on other people. That's not to say that Russia's not doing it or capable of it in any other location. The point is where we're pointing at and what she's referring to is a complete inverse of reality. Think about how disgusting that is. That's that what I always point out, the worst of the worst. Not only doing the bad thing, but then acting like you're the good person for doing it. So we all have to do some serious soul-searching. You know, except them, of course, right? It's you she's talking about. About how we relate to one another in this much more complicated information environment. Except Trump and, you know, MAGA, and they're gross, but everybody else. I'm speaking as her, obviously, <laughs> being facetious. Where demonizing and scapegoating are just accepted strategies. Exactly. She's, maybe she's being honest right now, because that's exactly what they're doing and exactly what she thinks and exactly what both sides of the paradigm are, in fact, doing. Like, this is not even that deft. Like, what she's doing is almost clumsy. Like, she's basically saying, and just one step removed, being like, but it's them, though, not me. To get beyond that, to get back to the hard work. <laughs> of finding common ground. My God. And creating a more peaceful, prosperous future for everyone. Uh, she forgot equality, sustainability. She got you know, a couple more buzzwords she didn't squeeze in there, right? Like none of this is even remotely what she's doing anywhere, ever. <laughs> like it's just so plainly stupid. They know what they're supposed to be saying. They know what their, what their mindless followers who still somehow can't see what they are believe that they're supposed to be. So they just give you the buzzwords. It's really sad that people fall for this stuff still. Well, one more example. Here is Patrick Lancaster showing you as of the 15th of March, Western supplied weapons, again, used by Ukraine to target civilians. This morning, Ukraine used a USA and NATO supplied M777 howitzer to fire M549 155 millimeter shells at apartments in the district of Donetsk. Not on the front line, but inside a civilian location in the area Ukraine claims they're trying to save from Russia. A 14 year old boy was injured. You can look for yourself. This used to matter when you could prove it was a U.S. weapon. Doesn't now. Apparently, it doesn't even matter. Because this is just an, a complete propaganda war. It's pretty sad. Now, here's a good thread. I'm just going to let you guys read for yourself. There's a lot of good information in here, breaking down the history, showing a lot of videos that we've shown you. You know, here's the uh, McCain and or, uh, um, Lindsey Graham and McCain speaking to them well before saying, our war is your war, but we're supposed to pretend like they weren't helping them. Don't forget the NATO g- general... Uh, um, 
chief basically just said, or not basically said openly that we've been helping and funding them since 2014, right? Oops, that was fake news until, you know, the point is it's obviously provable, but on the surface narrative was that's not supposed to be said, but he just said it. The truth is they've been building this. We know that. It's easily verifiable because the evidence on the record is that they wanted this to be the case. They've been driving this into reality. And there's all this is in here. You can read through this for yourself. You've seen everything in here for the most part. Videos of what they really are, like these kind of videos where they speak on the record and go, we're doing this. They lie about what we're doing. We don't care. We're using their money. The U.S. will support us. and We're going to kill them anyway. It's like they just don't care. They know they can get away with it. Read it for yourself, guys. The sad reality is this is what they are. And this is what they want them to be. And you can read this as well. Not just Azov. Documents prove the CIA has been cultivating this fascist entity in Ukraine since at least 1948. It's their own documentation, guys. Take time to look at it. Now, to finish the segment of Ohio. Now, part of me wanted to start with this today just because I do think this is really important. But to be honest, this is simply a we got it right story. Right. I mean, it's, it's shocking to see how high the level is. But the reality is, you know, all this already, other than the specific amounts, you know, all of this. So if you've been watching the show from February 10th forward, you all rather, I would say maybe the 12th forward, you already had most of this information and you already knew what was going on, which, by the way, demonstrating our value is pretty much typically what you get from this platform. That's not my opinion. That's just simply looking at our track record. And I'm happy to point that out. Well, here's one we just did, the last one we did on the 3rd of March. EPA orders, rather the focus, EPA orders dioxin test one month after disaster. One month after disaster. And guess what? They had barely even gotten those testing going until like last week. They knew this. That's why they were covering all this up. That's why they were hiding what was really going on, downplaying the animals, not just the aquatic animals, but animals in general that were dying. How far this actually reached, how far people were getting sick, all of this has been hid from you. All of it. Dabu7 put this out. Uh, this was yesterday. This is where I saw it first. Make sure, if you haven't seen his channel, make sure you check it out. He's doing good work. Just directing quick little videos down about what's going on. And this was about the Guardian article we're going to get into next. Hundreds of times above the safe limit. Now, here's what I posted out when I first saw this after watching his video. New testing shows East Palestine soil contains dioxin levels hundreds of times greater than the exposure threshold above which Environmental Protection Agency scientists in 2010 found poses cancer risks. They know all of this, guys. They know all of this. They knew it when it started. They knew it when they burned it. That's why the EPA tried to distance themselves from it. The real question is, what actually happened? Why did it take 10 days to get attention to this? Why did they burn it in such a flamboyant way that they knew would cause a problem? I mean, I don't, especially now that we can see the high level, I, I bet you it's worse than this, to be quite honest. We really need to go back to that and say, okay, what happened there? Why would they knowingly do the thing that would cause this problem? There's just no argument. The experts have already made this clear. What they did was the way to make this as bad as possible. So what happened? Now, I've gone back and forth on the whole what else might have been here, like the, the uh, vinyl Dean chloride conversation about whether this was something that was more potentially a weapon. But I've got disputing arguments from experts, which makes this hard, where some people are saying that the phosgene aspect seems to undermine the idea that it was vinyl chloride, except I've already, I've gotten documents that seem to suggest that that is what happens by burning vinyl chloride. Now, I'm a chemist. I'm not a chemist. So I have read documents that seem to suggest that's not what would happen, but at the same time, I've got documents that seemingly come from EPA and so on that do say so. So I'll leave that to people that understand this better than me. Let me know what you're seeing. 
But I'm going to leave that for, to side for the moment because ultimately I question whether this was in fact vinyl chloride or whether there was something else that was covered up by burning that and so on. But with what's in front of us at the point at the moment, this is where we, we're going to go with this. Ultimately, let me close some of these real quick. Okay. So starting with this article and really understand that the burning of whatever that was like arguably vinyl chloride, like they're telling everybody it really is just chlorinated products. So realistically vinyl Dean chloride would also create dioxins. So my point is either way, we're talking about dioxins at this point. We should be considering everything else as well. But this is what we were focusing on because of a lot of different background noise too. Like the fact that this has been a problem seemingly as long as you can look back, hundreds of times above the level. That's what CNN found in 1995. So clearly, more than just in Ohio area, these problems have been there. Levels of carcinogenic, 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 (laughs) weird, carcinogenic, chemical near Ohio derailment site far, far above safe limit. This is the Guardian. Again, not that that means that they're the truth, but that this is corporate media now that is saying directly contradicting what the EPA is right now saying. And think about if you were living there where you have people that are like, here are your tests, you're getting poisoned. And they go, no, 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 you're fine. Go back to bed. Don't worry about the rash and your vomit and your bleeding out of your nose. Go back to sleep. You're okay. Our test said you're fine. Newly released data shows soil in the Ohio town of East Palestine, scene of the recent catastrophic train crash and chemical spill by by design, deliberate chemical release, contains dioxin levels, dioxin levels, hundreds of times greater than the exposure threshold above which Environmental Protection Agency scientists in 2010 found poses cancer risks. Now, everything you're going to hear in this, by the way, is all the stuff we've already gone over other than proving that they're finding this, or at least that they say they found it. The EPA at the time, 2010, proposed lowering the cleanup threshold, which now stands at one part per billion, as you heard on our show a week ago, except the interesting part, well, they they wanted to lower the threshold to reflect the science. You know, shocking, right? (laughs) around the, to- the highly toxic chemical. So basically the point is they knew then that we need to lower the levels much more dangerous than what you're talking about. However, Obama's administration stopped that and the higher federal action threshold remained. What, what the point they're making is that the level, despite the stand, this is what I've been trying to say the whole time, when the EPA comes in and says, no, it's standard. It's not below the standard limit. Well, what does that mean? I don't care what you've set as the standard. What does that mean and how we find out? They lie, they've politically maintained an arbitrary level despite the science showing you that it's dangerous well below that level. And that's how they maintain the illusion. And they still are, by the way, and I'll show you what I mean. Now it says, though, the dioxin levels in East Palestine are technically below the federal action threshold because of what we just said, despite that being scientifically proven to be cancer-causing at this moment, And an EPA administrator last week told Congress the levels are, quote, very low. But, of course, that's only based on the arbitrary standard, which we know is dangerous. Chemical experts, including former EPA officials who reviewed the data that they just said was not dangerous, are calling that same level concerning. They're lying to you, guys. That's the point. People that were once with the EPA and any other expert that's not working with them is going, these are dangerous. The level, and then, again, realize their own science 
shows you that. They just have a level set incorrectly because politics. The levels found two, the levels found in just two soil samples, which is all they apparently took, are also up to 14, 14 times higher than dioxin soil limits, and this is really important, in some other states. And the numbers point to wider contamination. So my biggest concern, and this, I, this is still going to play a factor, I can almost promise you, is whether they were going to try to argue that the dioxin level was already there because of this seemingly unknown, already existing, vi- very dangerous level the EPA doesn't care to do anything about that seemingly is across the country, as well as other places because of this country, like we talked about in the Arctic. But overall, if it's being seen as 14 times higher than, lo- than re- oh, states in other directions, then that's an interesting statement, or that's going to be used to prove that this was because of what they did. That's important. The data likely confirms fears that the controlled burn, it's not a controlled burn, the opposite of that, in fact, because it implies the control of oxygen flow, and they didn't do that. The data likely confirms fears that this burn of vinyl chloride in the days after the train wreck in the town created dioxin and dispersed it throughout the area, which is what it did. It didn't just be, it wasn't a local leak. It was the burning spread, this stuff that potentially lasts for decades. They say that what stressed the new data, they stress that the new data is of limited value because, well, they only took two samples. And that's how this game is played. Test from the top of the water, which we already caught them doing. They test inappropriately where at levels where it's going to be as low as they can find it. And they only test small areas and local. And, and then that's why they go, well, it was only two, though. We don't know for sure. Just like the whole Vayers game. Well, well, then why didn't you take 20? It's probably so they could make this argument. The chemicals are highly persistent. They're called persistent organic pollutants, POP, and can accumulate, bioaccumulate in the fat of animals and your body and potentially remain for the rest of your life. And they can stay for years in the environment and human bodies. But again, we, remember we showed you the data. They, decades, potentially your entire life, they can build up and stay in your body and pass down to your children, just like we're seeing with the injections, by the way. Among other health issues, the compounds are linked to cancer, diabetes, heart disease, nervous system disorders, and other serious health problems. Soil and food contamination are considered to be among the most common exposure routes. Oh, it's so great the Guardian finally got the courage to tell you what we've been telling you since the 12th. I guess they just didn't know, except the fact that you can look back at their own coverage and realize they were covering dioxins back in the early 2000s. So, it's, so I guess they just waited for the nod from somebody above them to talk about what they knew was happening. Now, had you watched the, t- the daily wrap-up, you would have known about this as early as anybody. After resisting calls for weeks to test for dioxins, which is criminal, guys, the EPA on the 3rd of March only then announced that they would order Norfolk Southern to do so. Like, why they had to step in and do that, or why they didn't do it to begin with, is, is obviously inappropriate, at the very least. Separately, Indiana last week commissioned testing of East Palestine soil because one of the state's landfills is storing it. You realize this is before they tested for dioxins and didn't care to talk about the forever chemicals, PFAS. I mean, really take a moment and stand back. Even if you're critical of all this, how in the world can you argue the EPA was being responsible, especially when you can prove, right now especially, that they knew dioxin was possible? How can you argue they're being responsible if they already shipped this across state lines without even testing to find out? That risks contamination, that risks spreading this problem, and they knew that. 
I don't know why. The, so the Guardian can't point that out. These people are ridiculous. Every, this 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 needs to be a criminal charge right now. And the, apparently, that's the only person doing that is Brian Festa. Trying to sue the EPA on behalf of local individuals. And nobody else seems to be focusing on the fact that the EPA seemingly allowed this to happen, despite how much they knew. It's a great interview you should check out. The lawsuit against the EPA for criminal malfeasance in East Palestine. Again, Indiana is only starting to test this because they're being forced to take these things. And I'm going to show you how they're now being forced. Whether and how do we know that their their incinerator is even capable of burning these things that potentially aren't even burnable, like PFAS? They don't know that because they didn't test for it. The testing was conducted by what uh, Burnbaum characterized as a reputable laboratory. Now this is now understand from the third forward, and even more than that, they were shipping this stuff. I'll make that point again in a moment. The Indiana governor Eric Holcomb said the levels found in the soil were not harmful. Meanwhile. EPA Administrator Deborah Shore, during congressional testimony on March 9th, characterized oxygen levels found in Indiana as very low and good news. That's not even what Indiana is saying. I mean, this is just, it really is just mind-blowing to me. Actually, let's just play this now, since, yeah, that's perfect. So, look at what The Guardian just said, how they're reporting this. Uh Uh-oh, looks like we're still good. So they're, they're literally claiming that they said we're good, very low, no problem, right? Well, here's what the news report says from Indiana. Literally the opposite. Researchers in Indiana are playing a key role in the search for answers following the devastating train derailment in Ohio. Yes, scientists at Purdue are testing to see what exactly seeped into the ground in East Palestine and into the air, too. WRTV's Rachel Wilkerson got a first-hand look at the testing and the concerns it's raising. A team of professors, researchers, and students are studying more than 300 samples from in and around the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment site. The fiery crash happened on February 3rd. Thousands of people were forced to evacuate as Norfolk Southern and the National Transportation Safety Board announced vinyl chloride, a cancer-causing chemical, was at risk of contaminating the area. So we initially went in to help. Ask yourself why it takes a, a, a separate state testing this before they can start talking about this. Clearly, everybody knows to the point to where Indiana's like, whoa, whoa, we got to test this first. And that, it, it took, it, so the EPA waited this entire time. People understand drinking water safety, but when we got there, we realized that it was actually a lot worse than what uh, the public had been led to believe. He's talking about drinking water safety, by the way. And so we adjusted our approach to sample basically as much as we could and bring it back to Purdue. Dr. Andrew Welton is a professor in the civil engineering department at Purdue University. He says their preliminary testing has uncovered a lot. So our team here in this laboratory have detected a number of different chemicals that uh, the Ohio EPA has found in the creeks. But we also detected a few others that they are not necessarily looking for in the drinking water. Great. Great. So they're finding dangerous things in drink, wa- drinking water that they're not even testing for. Does that sound like a responsible entity? If they know to test for them, so too does the EPA. This is, I don't, I wonder, I wonder if this entity is even like, is this just literally corporations running the EPA? I mean, how is this even possible? 
This is dangerous. People are being allowed to suffer. That's why you have people with rashes and vomiting and bleeding out of the nose profusely, unstoppable. Like the children are going to the hospital. They're having migraines. It's constant right up until right now. Other professors here and their teams at Purdue are finding other chemicals that these officials are not testing for in the water. Wow. And uh, that's going to help us understand the big picture. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is the lead for testing the air. The Ohio EPA is in charge of testing the water. <laughs> but Dr. Welton says the agencies aren't using the same devices. So they're testing different things in different areas. If so, the same thing happened, but in the water they test for one thing, in the ground they test for something else. The, the, I mean, you can't, in my opinion, this is willfully gaming the out, outcome. People involved with this must know that they're downplaying, omitting, and trying to play. The, like, how can they not? Wouldn't the average person be like, why aren't we testing for the same things? And aren't testing for the same exact chemicals. So one example is the Ohio EPA, the state of Ohio's EPA, is not looking for acrolin in the water. Acrolin is, quote, wow. very toxic by inhalation, according to the National Library of Medicine. It can also cause skin and eye irritation. We're hearing a lot of that. Professors at Purdue University found it in the water. Texas A&M University researchers found it in the air. The federal Jeez. EPA found it in the air. So these agencies need to start looking for the same things. So they found it, though, right? So they know it's there. Are they telling people about it? I mean, you can speak to these people on the ground. They're not being told this stuff. This is this is a perfect little microcosm of everything that's happening right now, everywhere because of our governments. In different media, so you can understand what the exposures are. We asked the Ohio EPA if they're doing enough testing. We also asked why testing is different from air and water samples. In a statement, the agency says the list of chemicals it's testing in drinking water is being adjusted as new information becomes available. What kind of information? Right. So are, are, we, are we somehow unaware of other chemicals that were on the train that we weren't told about? I was going to make a point about that today, but I'm going to get into it again later. We already made the point that it speaks to what happened at the beginning. They have this app that's supposed to be instantly informing first responders of everything that was on the train. Yet somehow there was confusion for at least a day about what was going on, what was on the train. How does that make sense? Clearly something else was going on. What do you mean becomes available? Like what? The list of chemicals is clear, and obviously you're testing some over here and some over there, so you already know about them. So this is just a political statement, not surprising from a political entity. Adding it's increasing the number of chemicals to look for. Ohio officials have announced the water is safe to drink and be around. That's a concern for Dr. Welton. And okay, you understand when they say be around, they're talking about the water in the rivers let alone the safe drinking water, which he seems to suggest is not safe in the beginning, but the rivers themselves, that's not true. We know that's not true. And yet they're being told, generally speaking, that these things aren't a danger. That's, I mean, I, I don't know how people haven't already been arrested for this. And his team. We were led to believe that a lot of the contamination washed downstream and that had been diluted and there were real no acute health risks in the community anymore. But that wasn't the case. Right. Uh, and so we were uh, shocked at how much contamination remained in the creeks. This is ABC News. I mean, just really take a reflect on what's happening right now. This is a big this is a big deal. And it's it's likely worse even seeing this because it's that much more of a big deal that we haven't realized yet. And was uh, detectable by odor just by walking by the creeks. Yep. 
and how the public wasn't warned about these issues. And remember, if you're smelling it, you're being contaminated. And so that means they let these experts go in un- misinformed. That's He was shocked to find out. So essentially they got they contaminated, which probably is going to have some effect on them because they're in there engaging with this without they were told that it already washed away. So they, they, they don't care about their employees. They don't care about other experts coming to the. I mean, this is desperation, it seems like. Welton says he experienced headaches while on site. So even, even he did. Even he had headaches while he was there. But but the people having headaches in their homes are being are lying or they're they don't understand. We we did tests and everything's fine. But this guy shows up and has headaches right when he's by the water. Wow. Some residents have also complained of headaches and burning eyes. Dr. Welton believes it's a sign of potential chemical exposure. Yeah. So his team collected samples from more than a dozen Ohio creeks and private water wells. We're taking the water samples and then we're um, physically extracting the individual chemicals out of them into another liquid. And then we take that liquid and we inject it onto this instrument here. While he focuses on finding what exactly is in the water, Professors Neustrat Young and Brandon Bohr and their team are using this $650,000 high-powered device to see what's being released into the air. It's a, a rather sophisticated instrument that is able to detect uh, chemical compounds they, that may be present in the air second by second, in fact, within milliseconds. So it is able to speciate the compounds and give us the exact chemical formula, what it may be. So it is helping us rapidly detect what may be in this air, which is right above the water. Right here is the spike, and these are the different... We watch as spikes appear on the screen, showing levels of both harmful and safe compounds detected. No one at Purdue is getting paid for this. The crisis is so important to them, they're using money out of their funding account. Whenever there are pressing environments... Think about that. The EPA is not doing this, but it takes an independent group because they care. And yet the government that we're paying taxes to to do this is lying to you issues. We really hope that we can provide the solutions. And from our end, our job is truly to detect uh, what this is and probably help understand what may it cause. So if we can detect what there is, we are able to maybe answer questions better. Rachel Wilkerson, WRTV. While the Purdue professors are testing soil, water, and air samples, shipments of toxic soil tested only for the cancer-causing chemical dioxin have resumed going to a landfill in Putnam County. Shipments were halted after Governor Eric Holcomb ordered a third-party lab to test specifically for dioxin. As we reported, those tests didn't reveal harmful levels of chemicals. The Purdue professors say their research will identify all chemicals present, not just dioxin. Think about being this ABC producer and literally ending a segment that plainly shows danger, verifiably discusses because of the test being done that this is a dangerous reality above safe levels, and then ending by saying, government says you're totally not, you're totally safe, everything's fine, go back to sleep. (laughs) I guess they have to keep their job. (laughs) I mean, my God. But then realize the missed point about how, yes, so they paused and resumed, which means, yes, again, they were shipping dangerous things across state lines without testing for things that they clearly now we now see they did know were a potential. How do you not see this as a clear cover up and then going, oh, okay, fine. Okay, fine. We'll do it now. Stop. Okay, now go again. Are you good now? Can we go back to sleep? This is what it feels like.
going forward. It says, but while the EPA can claim that the levels are low from a legal standpoint, this is the Guardian again, the agency's own science suggests that they're not safe. And dioxin experts who spoke with the Guardian cast doubt on their assessments. So again, my point is the same segment that clearly NBC just said, well, just at least pretend like it's not dangerous at the end and we'll be okay with that. <laughs> Everybody can see what's happening right now, even the corporate media. If you, or however you want to look at this, or maybe they're supposed to say it. It says, regulators establish the toxicity of dioxins in a soil sample by calculating the toxicity equivalence. We've talked about all of this already. All of the dioxins in the soil compared to the most toxic dioxin compound, TCDD. And remember, this is what, this is this, just right here. This is the breakdown. That's why we talked about TCDD, the one we're discussing, being the worst chemical pretty much on the planet. And everything else is compared to that. That's one baseline, and everything else is compared to that, right? Now, the point is, East Palestine soil showed levels of TCD, uh, the, basically TCDD, of 700 parts per trillion. So 300 parts per trillion below one part per billion, which is the, the EPA artificial level of what's supposed to be dealt with, even though we know their science shows you that it's way less than that. The level at which the EPA will initiate cleanup, again, is 1,000 parts per trillion, or rather one part per billion. However, the cleanup triggers are much lower in many states, 90, 90 parts per trillion in Michigan, 50 parts per trillion in California, 50. Well, what they found, TCDD, is just shy of one part per billion. In case you forgot the equivalency, which we did the other day on the show, because we really did break this down extensively, which I don't think anybody else has done. Parts per billion is equivalent. One part per billion is one uh, microgram per kilogram. That's the, that's the breakdown. And so the point is, just TCDD, or excuse me, TCDF, which was, hold on, So this, that's right. This is the point I want. So basically, so we have 0.9 of TCDF, 0.17 of TCDD. The reality, though, and this is what I wanted to break down, is overall. And so this is, I'm jumping ahead, actually. But so I, I jumped in to talk about it. We've talked about this according to the EPA's report. This is their report from 1998, which breaks down the part per billion, which is that for residential areas, one part per billion is the used starting point for cleaning up residential areas, right? And so what they're talking about is not just TCDD, but generally speaking, the equivalency of whatever equals one part per billion of dioxins, right? This is about approach for addressing dioxins in soil, which is what they're dealing with now. So the point is not just one or the other, but all of them, right? So the point I'm making is when you, and this is the same thing I just made the other day about what they were already finding based on what the arguable amount of dioxins created by burning one, you know, I think it was a kil kilogram or what was it? The, yeah, kilogram of the vinyl chloride. No, the kilogram was the other metric. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. The point was by cer certain vinyl chloride burn, you produce X amount of dioxins, right? And it was a, is a, 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 a mathematical equation. So it's not exact, it's based on estimates. But the point was, by our estimates, that was way above one part per billion, right? So here we are finding this, and you can find all of these dioxins when combined, in my opinion, very much do meet one part per billion. So 
not one or the other. And again, I really do dispute this based on what we're seeing and all the reports. You just heard them talk about this. It's obvious these things are causing actual physical symptoms, which puts it way beyond the level they're talking about. So that's very clear. So why this, this is, again, whether because they tested the top of the water or specific weird places of soil, everyone's accusing them of that. And they're getting caught for doing that. The water level thing from the top of the water instead of the bottom, knowing that this is heavy. The bottom line is they're gaming the way this comes out. But when we realize that all of it together goes above that and all we're talking about is general dioxin concentration altogether, then we're already there. And then factor in that the number is so far below one part per trillion or one part per billion, excuse me, because we just showed you in Michigan, right? Which, by the way, they were already trying to ship dangerous dioxin soil. They're at 90 parts per trillion. That, I mean, think about how small that is. That's so far down. Okay, the bottom line is these places, at least like California, Michigan, recognize that the level of dioxin is super dangerous. So that right there is way above the safe level, let alone if you burned that and it got breathed in or it let, settled on your animals or your house. or I mean, this is, the, this is what they're telling you is the number right now, along with a whole bunch of other things. Now it says, uh, so based on this, the concentrations are actually concerning. I mean, these are experts. This is from Johns Hopkins University. Federal cleanup, again, is it's about one part per billion or 1,000 parts per trillion. Moreover, EPA scientists in 2010 put the cancer risk threshold for dioxins at residential soils at 3.7 parts per trillion. 3.7 parts per trillion. 1,000 parts per trillion is supposed to be the level for cleanup. Their own scientists said 3.7 is the level for cancer. So again, it's... I mean, these are all dioxins. Every one of these, you add them up, it is dramatically higher. Even just these right here, by the way, just these top two. And the agency recommended lowering the cleanup trigger to 72 parts per trillion. The rules were ultimately killed for political reasons, according to Stephen Lester, who we've already talked about, another expert. Instead of making adjustments for the high risk of these chemicals, they dropped it. They just walked away from it. And that's the crazy part of the story, Lester said. Now the EPA can legally claim the levels in East Palestine are safe, even if agency science has suggested that it's not. Really sounds familiar, doesn't it? The EPA, of course, did not respond. You know, that's transparency. Quote, the available data analyzed and validated by an independent laboratory shows the waste from East Palestine that went to Indiana does not contain harmful levels. But guess what? We just showed you what they said, what the actual scientists said, not what the government is telling you they said. That's how this game works. It is also unclear where and at what depth the samples were collected. That's the point. So we know the water game. So soil, they're doing the same thing. So how much you want to bet the numbers they're claiming? It's way worse than that. My opinion, but I think we see that with the reactions people are getting. And, and we're talking about more than just dioxins here, by the way, as well. Moreover, if the soil that Indiana tested had been shipped to the state in a truck or train car, then it was mixed with other soil and likely diluted, which could make the soil appear safer than it is. Because that's where this is stemming from, the Indiana testing. The bottom line is there's a, that's likely why this was going on this way and would conceal hot spots on the ground. As well as the fact, I can't believe no one's pointing this out, that they allowed this to be shipped across state lines without knowing what was going on. 
1980, the EPA forced the evacuation of Times Beach, Missouri, we already talked about. And that was dioxin levels exceeding 1,000 parts per trillion were found at the soil after the chemicals were sprayed on the town's roads to prevent the spread of dust. Great. We're going to stop the dust and then we're going to kill you with the dioxins, right? That's usually how this goes. But overall, we're at one part per billion. That's the same game. That's where we are now. I argue it's worse than that. What you really need to know, he writes, for the people in the area to be safe is where did the dioxins come from? Where did the wind take it? Where was it deposited? And where is the area with heavy levels? None of that has been discussed. This is breaking through on the corporate discussion now, guys. Make sure you, you listen to the interview with Brian Festa about, the, about this ongoing lawsuit. Now, here is what they're saying now. EPA, on the 17th, is ordering states not to block waste shipments from Ohio. You can think about this. You have other entities, states that are like, you know, you haven't even tested this properly. And like Michigan, they're sending it back. We don't, we, we don't even have the right kind of process facility to deal with this stuff. They don't seem to care. Maybe because they want this to spread. But now they're sending it to a location that's like miles south of East Palestine. That they have yet, that they sent that before they tested for dioxins. So the people are going, look, this is going to spread dioxins all over the area. Over East Palestine again. The U.S. EPA on Friday ordered them not to block contaminated waste from a fiery train derailment. A handful of politicians and states have sought to block shipments from the East Palestine, including the Oklahoma governor, who last week said he had stopped waste from the derailment from coming to his state, which I would do the same thing. EPA Administrator Michael Regan said there was no reason for states to block shipments of the type of waste that certified facilities routinely handle every day. This is the guy saying this at a time when they had not tested for what's in it. How do you know it's routine? Are they set, uh, Can they deal with PFAS? Well, no, they can't. Most of them can't. So that's why we pretend it's not there. Have you tested for dioxins? At the point, they hadn't. Great fake outrage. How dare you not take this basic soil? No, this is a problem. And clearly, even people on their political side are like, whoa, we don't want that. Take a look at the report for yourself. You can look over all the information. I think it's very clear. Last couple points to make make clear here. On top of everything, I mean, I haven't really been focusing on all the different events. And not to say that they're unimportant. I'm just trying to really remain focused on what I think is the real story. But my God, not necessarily the only story, but the, the main story to me. James Corbett did a really interesting overlap showing you the unbelievable amount of events that have happened just since the beginning of this. It's unbelievable. Clearly not normal. And here is just another couple that I thought were pretty wild. This is on the 17th. Over 400,000 gallons of radioactive water apparently leaked from a nuclear plant in Minnesota. The Minnesota Department of Health and, and other state agencies are currently monitoring Xcel Energy. As it says down here, the leakage has been happening since late last year in November 2022. So here's an example of one that's like, okay, well, people are going, oh my God, a new story, but it's kind of not though. But does that mean it's not important? Well, no. What's important to me is that it is happening, which is crazy that it was allowed to happen and that apparently we didn't even talk about it until now. Or at least, you know, broad discussion, which shows you that these things are being taken advantage of, that I think there is like an engineered collapse happening to the point to where they're either using things that were already there to justify this so they can reimagine it or make them happen. It's up for you to decide, but clearly this stuff's not, this is abnormal. The way it's happening right now. Emergency crews, this is in uh, Washington. 
Emergency crews are at the scene of a BSNF train derailment that caused 5,000 gallons of diesel to spill into Washington. I mean, all over the place. So either this is just obviously their decrepit, completely irresponsible management of all this, which is one problem, or it's being engineered, let to happen, driven to happen. Either way, these people clearly don't care about you, whether it's the companies or the governments that allow this to be the reality. On top of all that, let's not forget that dioxin that we now know for sure is at high levels in these areas, it literally dramatically increases your risk of viral infection. Let's just not forget that little fancy overlap that just seems to line up perfectly with other agendas. But you guys can think for yourselves about why and how. But my God, we need to see what's really going on, whether organized, engineered, or organic, that they're using this. And people are suffering. So thank you for tuning in, guys. It's important that we get this stuff out and that we continue to stand up, stand up for ourselves and stand up for our families, stand up for our freedom. Very important. Make sure you tune in on March 20th. It'll be fun. I think we'll have a lot of, a lot of entertaining guests, a lot of conversation. And, you know, just to be doing a show for this will be, this will be the longest one. I think what, you know, I, I think I might have done something longer. <laughs> what doesn't matter? Tune in on the 20th. We'll have a lot of fun, a lot of good conversation. And, you know, help support T-Lab because we do have a lot of good things coming your way, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. Couldn't do this without you. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.